What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Tuesday, September the 28th, the year 2021. We got lots to do, lots to talk about as we will recap and get into all of the shenanigans and the craziness that was week three of the National Football League. A recap of the best of the 1 o'clock games, best of the 425 games, recap the Cowboys taking care of business against the division rival Philadelphia Eagles uh, on sun, or excuse me on Monday night. Get into, of course, the Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers marching down the field and taking care of business against the San Francisco 49ers uh, on Sunday Night Football a few nights ago. I will... Uh, uh, re- not uh, recap, but look back on the ten as this as today September twenty eighth is the ten year anniversary of the uh, famous game one sixty two, uh, the final day, the final game of the two thousand and eleven uh, Major League Baseball regular season, and all of the historical significance and the memories that. Uh, that occurred on that night 10 years ago today. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the program. And Colin Russo, friend of the program, uh, son, of course, of Christopher Mad Dog Russo, will join us uh, later on in the program to preview uh, his Jaguars going up against my Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday night in a couple of days and recap week three of the NFL. Uh, his Wisconsin Badgers, he, of course, goes to the University of Wisconsin. Uh, you know, did not bother to show up against Notre Dame at Soldier Field like my Cincinnati Bengals uh, this past Saturday. So we'll get into that a little bit later on in the program. Speaking of my Bengals, I will, of course, give you my two cents and recap uh, uh, their, their impressive victory on Sunday afternoon against the Pittsburgh Steelers winning their first, I believe it's their first, the Bengals' first back-to-back uh, victories against Pittsburgh since 2013 and their first uh, road victory in Pittsburgh since 2015. We will get to that a little bit later on as the program moves it along. But let's jump right into it as far as week three in the NFL is concerned and just go down the list, do the, one, uh, do the takeaways from the one o'clock game first. And then, uh, and then take a break, and then get to the four the game. What I got from the four o'clock uh, games, and then of course the Sunday night and the Monday night game. We begin with the Baltimore Ravens and Detroit Lions, a game that I did not anticipate of going out of my way to uh, to to talk to talk about. But I have to because of how, how because of in fact how great of a game it ended up being, unnecessary unnecessarily competitive. And but I, how how can I not bring it bring it up when Justin Tucker? Uh, I mean, what do you want to talk about an absolute legend? I still think in my eyes, and it's not by much that uh, that Adam Vinatieri still holds a little bit of weight as the greatest uh, kicker in the history of the sport because you know, because you know he's got two. He of course with the uh, with the game winning field goal he hit in the 2001 divisional playoff game in the in the blizzard on natural grass in a blizzard against the Raiders in the Afri- in the uh, infamous Tuck Rule game. He kicked it. He won the Super Bowl for the Patriots uh, about a month, uh, less than a month later, Super Bowl uh, 36 
against the Rams, kicked the game-winning field goal for them, and then two years later, in 2003, he kicked the Patriots to, an, to their second championship, uh, defeating the Carolina Panthers in Super Bowl 38. So, so and that's and that's three, and those are the three most clutch. Uh, game-winning field goals in the history of the sport. Something that Justin Tucker does not not any and not of any fault of his own, but but he doesn't have that yet on his resume. But as soon as he gets one, you know whether it's to win a playoff game, send the Ravens to the Super Bowl, or win them a Super Bowl, Justin Tucker, you, you're going to put Justin Tucker up there as one of the uh, as one of this game's greatest players of all time. Jerry Rice, the goat wide receiver. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, of course, the GOAT uh, quarterback, uh, Lombardi and uh, Lombardi and Belichick, the GOAT coach. And then you're going to have Justin Tucker as the as the as the GOAT of the uh, kicking position in the sport. Uh, 66 game winning, 66 yard game winning field goal all time. Okay, all-time NFL record-breaking Matthew Prater's record, uh, who kicked a 64-yarder uh, in a 51-28 victory as a member of the Denver Broncos going up against the Tennessee Titans on December the 8th of 2013. The previous record was 64 yards. Justin Tucker in his second trip in his career to Detroit at Ford Field, which is so ironic because which is so ironic because the last time Justin Tucker in the race Ravens played at Detroit. Justin Tucker made, I mean, I believe it was six field goals in a game on on a Monday night in December against the Detroit Lions. And one, and when the sixth and final field goal he made in that game was a was a, a sixty one was a sixty one yard field goal at the time his uh, career long against Detroit on that Monday night. And then that was back in two thousand thirteen. And now eight years later, the Ravens returned to Detroit to play the Lions, and he kicks a record breaking sixty six yard field goal. Uh, to not on, to not only extend the Ravens to not only get the Ravens their second victory in a row to improve the two and one on the season and to get their first road victory of 2021, but also to break and set an all-time NFL record as far as the longest uh, field as far as the longest made field goal in the history of the sport. When I was watching, I got to be honest, I got to be transparent with you guys. I watched I watched a whole hell of a lot of games during that 1 o'clock window on Sunday, of course, with the with the handy-dandy Sunday ticket. The Ravens, the Ravens-Lions game was going to be, was that game that I said, you know what, the Ravens are going to win this game probably more, probably 17 points or more. I'll watch the shortcuts and go back and look at the highlights uh, you know, to you know, so so I can get a so I can get a so I don't go into this show essentially blindly, of of not knowing what the heck of what the heck went on, um. But it's but it was funny because I had the Sunday ticket on in the living room and then and then in the other room we had in my household uh by the kitchen my brother my uh brother who was uh waiting for a Seahawks and we'll get to them in a minute and my sister who all of a sudden is the is the is a diehard Ravens fan in the span of 2 years not to mention we had my aunt my uncle and my mother and father in the room with them watching the final seconds of the Ravens game and the Bengals game had already been concluded i'm moving back and forth because the Kansas City uh, Charger game got interesting at literally around the same time
time. And the, and around the time where the Ravens were going on that final desperate drive uh, down 17-16 in the final closing seconds of the fourth quarter, I'm going back and forth between between two televisions because by this time the, the Chargers have the ball. Excuse me. By this time the Chargers have already scored a touchdown, gone up out in front, and the Chiefs have the ball. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, they got Mahomes. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. They got Patrick Mahomes. If any team's going to pull some crap with 30 seconds left in the ball game, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm going back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, there was a dead period in the Chief game where I went into the other room, saw Justin Tucker was ready to make the kick, 66 yards, and it hit. And I saw it hit the crossbar. I was like, "Oh my god!" And then I saw, and then I saw it hit. I saw it hit the crossbar, but I didn't see the football go forward and land on the ground. And because of the camera angle that they use in the broadcast, it's very like difficult to tell if the ball is good or not. Um, so I basically, as soon as the ball hit the crossbar, my eyes shifted to the lower left-hand bo- uh, corner of the screen to look at the official's arms, and lo and behold, his arms went straight up in the air. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And our whole uh, house erupted into pure insanity because we could not believe that Justin Tucker had made that game. I mean, we knew Justin Tucker was Mr. Automatic. We knew Justin Tucker... Uh, we knew Justin Tucker is one of the greatest kickers that this game has ever seen up there with Vinatieri in the last 25 years. Well, we we you know, there's not that much, you know we we know that the legend that Justin Tucker uh, is and and when he first ballot Hall of Famer in the Canton, Ohio, you know in like you know he's in his what late 20s if not early 30s so this won't be for another 15 20 years or so but we know how great justin zucker is and then all of a sudden it's only it's like holy crap did he just do that you know is and in the moment it's like you can't believe if i understand if you're a lions fan you're completely you're sick to your stomach you know you made you made uh you didn't show up in the first half against the 49ers, but you made them sweat a little bit in the fourth quarter. You uh, you gave the Packers everything you got in the first half in that Monday night game, and then you fell apart. And then you t- and then you made the Ravens' life a living hell, forcing Lamar Jackson. Now he had a decent day throwing the football, 16 of 31, 287 passing yards, a touchdown. Did throw an interception, and you and you sacked them four times, but you didn't allow the Ravens to run crazy, a la Kansas City. Uh, last Sunday night, on seven carries, fifty-eight yards on the ground. Uh, Murray, uh, uh, Murray, twenty-eight yards rushing on the ground, seven carries. Tyson Williams, uh, Devontae Freeman didn't do much, so you kept the rate, so you held the Ravens intact. And if you beat the Raven, and if you stop the run with the Ravens, you're going to give yourselves an opportunity to. Uh, you know, to win the game, your chance of winning the game go up tenfold if you stop the Ravens from running crazy on you. They ran as a team for 116 yards and kept the Ravens out of the end zone rushing-wise. They did allow Mark Andrew, Andrews to go nuts for a five-reception, 109 receiving yard day, and Devin Duvernay caught the only caught the Ravens' only touchdown pass in the game. So they played well defensively. Detroit did. But uh, but whether it's the fact that the Ravens finally have been able to turn themselves around, or the fact that the Lion offense is that inept, where you know they were just an absolute disgrace. Jared Goff, Jared Goff wasn't anything to write home about. Didn't turn over the football. Didn't get sacked a hell of a lot. Couldn't get anything going running the ball. Goff again, not a huge factor. Not a huge factor. 
with his arm and Lamar Jack and you know they forced Lamar Jackson to f- to fumble at least once though to no avail but you know Justin Tucker who missed the field who missed the field goal in this game by the way that accounted for th- uh, 13 of the Ravens 19 points in him I mean 66 yard field goal I mean it's, I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. And if you're the Detroit Lions, I mean, you want to talk about utter pain, misery, and suffering. I mean, whatever whatever the Ford family did to piss off God, it, 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 must, it must have been something outrageously crazy because this poor franchise can't catch a freaking break. I mean, whether it's getting their head, whether it's, whether it's getting their heads bashed in by the Green Bay Packers and Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers for the last quarter century or so, you know the the Chicago Bears having a few moments of glory, participating in two Super Bowls within the last thirty five years or so, couple of NFC Championship games, winning a Super Bowl in eighty five, uh, and then uh, and then of course the Lions making the playoffs recently within the last few years in a late two thousand tens decade. What you know? Then of course the Vikings, who had who had a phenomenal season in 2017, they made it to the NFC Championship game in that year, along with uh, back in '98, uh, and then making a few Super Bowls back in the uh, back in the late back in the uh, late '60s, early '70s. It's like it Detroit Lions, you just can't catch a freaking break. I mean, I, it, Justin Tucker has brought the Lions more misery and gut wrenching. Uh, pain and suffering and misery as Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre have combined within the last 25 years or so. I mean, it's 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 absolutely remarkable how the Lions just cannot catch a freaking break. And Dan Campbell, give him credit, who I thought you know was going to be a huge flop with the with the with the wacky press conferences and and the goofiness with the biting of the kneecaps and the fact that he and in the fact that he drinks coffee like like you know like homeless people. Uh, drink up water on you know when the when you have those uh or when you have those charities or those churches go on those uh mission trips and they go ahead and they and they bring a boatload of water no pun intended to the to, you know to the homeless or to uh, refugees overseas. I mean, whether you know, and, and you see how they are just so grateful, and they sop up water like it's nobody's business. Well, that's how Dan Campbell apparently drinks his coffee and those goofy. So I thought he'd be a complete flop, and he's and there's still plenty of time for him to be a complete flop. But they're zero and three on the season. They were overmatched, and it was too little, too late for their comeback against the against the Forty Nineers. But they didn't quit. Give them all, th- all things being considered, and they may and they as best they possibly could made the uh, Packers' life a living hell, at least in the first half in their game back in Week Two. And it took a sixty-six. And the only negative, uh, from a Ravens standpoint, is that the fact that it took you a, a, a chicken wing and a prayer, a miracle once in a lifetime, once in a generation. Uh, you know, opportunity for Justin Tucker to kick a 66-yard field goal to win the game, and if it the fact that it took a 66-yard field goal to beat the Detroit Lions, and, you know, I mean, it it it, it makes me feel good if I was a Lions fan because they had to fight tooth and nail, and God had to play in the games in order for us to lose that game. But if you're a Ravens fan, yes. You know, you had the craziness of the of the Raider and the Kansas City games to begin the season, and then Week Three makes it you know the third straight game in a row where the Ravens have their have their fan base sitting on uh, pins and needles with their heart with their heart rate going through the roof, heartbeat beating through their chest. 
but I wouldn't. I, and it was an impressive kick and one of the craziest, most unbelievable things I've ever seen on an athletic field or court in my in my uh, short years of being a sports fan. But all things being equal and all things being considered, it should have not have taken a 66-yard field goal to beat the Detroit Lions. You know, coming off of a week where you beat the Kansas City Chiefs at home. And you're, you know, trying to be a dark horse as a Super Bowl contender in the AFC. That 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 you got to be fair and honest about. And yes, did the Ravens, you know, get screwed by ref ball where it should have been a delay of game penalty where, you know, their last bet should have been a Hail Mary or a 69-yard field goal to win the game. Yeah, yeah, fair. But at the same, but at the same time, the Ravens aren't in that situation to begin with, and that situation does not happen if the Lions' defense, for whatever the reason, somehow, some way, literally implodes on itself and allows a fourth and, and allows Lamar Jackson to you know, allows Lamar Jackson, the Ravens' offense, to convert on a fourth and nineteen, which which was the uh, which was the play of, excuse me, which was the play of the game. Uh, by a by a country mile. So, did did you know? Did the Ravens get lucky with a uh, you know with a uh, a um, a delayed game penalty that should have been called? Absolutely. But that doesn't happen if you don't give up the fourth and nineteen. You stop the Ravens on fourth and nineteen, game's over, and and Justin Tucker's kick is just a is just a figment. It's just a figment of all of our imaginations. So you got to be fair. That's I'm number one. I'm number two is that the Chicago Bears are painfully inept. I mean, twenty eighth is and by the way, it was it was a crazy stat, and I'll get it to you, uh, and I'll give it to you here in a minute, ladies and gentlemen. Did you know? And I will find it and pull it up for you guys in just a couple of seconds. Um, yeah, here you go. Did you know that Justin Tucker's field goal was 19 yards longer than the total amount of yards gained by the Chicago Bears offense against the Browns on Sunday? Did you know that? I mean, they're off. I mean, and 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 the fact that they got there behind handed to them by Cleveland in a twenty point blowout, twenty six to six. The fact that I mean that even and I and in a day where my Bengals did something that they haven't done in six years, that's beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh, and something that they haven't done, and that's beat Pittsburgh in back to back meetings since two thousand and thirteen, seven eight years ago. I would. I mean. I mean. And I know you're gonna sit here and laugh, Jai. You always find something to be pissed pissed off at your uh, at your teams about. But but this is but this but this is this is genuine. This isn't you know. This isn't really shtick or me reaching and looking for something. That just the fact that the fact that that the Bears were this historically inept. And I understand that the Cleveland Browns are worlds better than the Cincinnati Bengals right now. But it's but the fact that we couldn't beat Cincinnati, couldn't beat Chicago, uh, couldn't beat Chicago last week in at Soldier Field makes makes me make. And I understand hindsight's twenty twenty, and and it's retrospect and everything else. But it makes me even more pissed off that we didn't beat Chicago in week two because. I mean, Justin Fields, even in the game where which they beat us, Justin Fields wasn't that special. Uh, now, granted, what does he have to work with when his offensive line is the equivalent of a bunch of turnstiles and you get sacked nine freaking times and, you know, 6 to 20 passing, 68 yards, again, sacked nine times, couldn't run the football, couldn't do anything, couldn't do anything offensively. 
any could could not do a freaking thing offensively, which just dominated all afternoon long. And I get it. The Browns are worlds better, and their defense is worlds better than the Bengals is right now. And the Bengals are, and the Browns, by some, are predicted to go to the Super Bowl. The Bengals could have another top fifteen, top ten draft pick by seasons, and I get it. But still. I mean, for and I said this last week, for a team that's you know trying to give our fans something to be proud of, the old Zach Taylor quote that he repeated at infinitum prior to the season started, you gotta beat. And I understand I'm beating the dead horse and all is forgiven with the Pittsburgh game essentially, but you gotta beat the Chicago Bears on the road, especially the performance that they had against 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 the Cleveland Browns. I mean, my good. I mean, if the if the Houston Texans. Who are openly tanking can put up a, can can put together some some uh, semblance of an offense against Cleveland. I mean, the Bears can't, and the and the Bengals give. I mean, oh my goodness! I mean, this the the Bengals should honestly be three and all right now. They should be. They should have never lost that bear game. But but their but the players' heads was in the clouds. They were they were their minds were anywhere but in Chicago. And Joe Burrow played his first game of his life. That that's a game that the Bengals, especially if the Bengals, you know, finish. God forbid, knock on wood, six and eleven, or or they shock the world and and they make and they're somehow in playoff contention and they miss the playoffs by a game. That's a game that they're going to be kicking themselves and punching the air at because there's no business why they should have lost to the Bears in week two. But anyway, I digress. The Bears, like I said, going through the stats are painfully inept. And the idea that Matt Nagy is honestly entertaining the fact that starting Justin Fields, Aaron Rod- or Aaron Rodgers, Justin Fields, Nick Foles, and Andy Dalton are all on the table to start in their week four game next week is absolutely laughable. Not only, and I said this last year, not only should uh, Ryan Pace, the inept, garbage, pathetic waste of my freaking time, GM should be out the door, but Matt Nagy should not be allowed to coach another game for the Chicago Bears ever again. He stinks. His offense stinks. His handling of the quarterback position from tr- from after the draft, through OTAs, through minicamp, through training camp, through the first three weeks of the season has been horrendous, and he needs to be fired and let go ASAP. He is historically inept. He is historically incompetent and has no idea what the heck he's doing as the head coach for the for the 2021 Chicago Bears. Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, and Justin Fields are all on the table to start week four. Matt, if you hit your head, here's an idea, okay? Here's an idea. In my opinion, you should have started Justin Fields from the jump. But if we would have known how god-awful this offensive line is, I would have been lockstep in agreement with him of starting Andy Dalton to begin the season because their offensive line is, is the equivalent of the 2020 Bengals offensive line. A bunch, a, a bunch of, is literally a bunch of human turnstiles. So if I would have known this, 
prior to the season started, I would have been in full agreement for him not starting Justin Fields for the sake of Justin Fields' career and for the sake of his health because his offensive line stinks. But now all three quarters. Matt, pick one. Be committed and be consistent of putting out a quarterback that's going to go out there that you think is going to give the best, is going to put the, going to put this team in the best position to win, and and is also at the same time going not going to be detrimental to the franchise going forward and years and seasons down the road. So, in my opinion. You sit Justin Fields, you let him get some reps in during practice with the ones, which somehow, some way, he failed to do just for him to throw him into the deep end of the pool before the first month of the season is out. You let him take some reps with the ones and say to yourself, the offensive line stinks. I'm not going to hang him out to dry and jeopardize his health. Let me hold him. Let me rest him. Let me let him sit back and watch. Take the first take, get a few uh, reps with the ones during practice throughout the week. Keep him active heading into heading into game days, and put out there either Nick Foles or Andy Dalton. Pick one and stick with one. Stop sending let letting this be a huge carousel. Let this be a a, a you know a dog and pony show and a and a huge production on a week in week out basis. Pick one and commit the one and leave it at that and don't touch it until either the season's over or you're out of a job, whichever one comes first. The Washington football team's defense may end up being overrated. And I may and I will uh bring this point back home when I uh get to the Cowboy game uh after the break in the next segment. But the, Washington's defense, oy vey. I mean they got taken to the freaking cleaners by the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Josh Allen is it's, it's, uh, funny. It only took one game for the Buffalo Bills to get their act together and for them to buckle down and realize, hey, we're in a new season now. Put up a shut-up time. Let's go ahead and show the football world what we're made of after this, after their offense was out to lunch against Pittsburgh in week one. That, that's a, that, and that's also a game if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you're going to be punching the air uh, you're going to be punching air and cursing and kicking and screaming, uh, especially if you miss out on the on a you know on a one seed uh, for the AFC because you lost the week one game because your offense didn't show up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team a team that I guarantee if Buffalo would have played right now they'd beat them by uh, by a minimum of 17 points. But hey, any given Sunday. Anyway, getting back to Washington, got absolutely destroyed by Buffalo's offense. Allen 42 of 32 of 43 through for 358 yards, four touchdown passes, one sack, didn't throw an interception, uh, and then Cole Beas and then Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders went nuts for uh, combined for a combined 16 receptions and a hundred, I believe, if my math is correct, and for a combined a hundred 
and uh, 92 yards receiving and two touchdown catches, both by Emmanuel Sanders. Knox and Moss also cut a touchdown pass in the game as the Buffalo Bills look like to be back on their winning ways and lining up scoreboards with the second straight game of Buffalo putting up 30 points uh, or more. Definitely a better uh, day at the office for the uh, Buffalo offense than it was against Miami uh, last Sunday. And then you go ahead and you go to Washington, who I mean, my I mean, their defense is. Just, I mean, what in the world's happened to their defense? I I had I, I had that game on too. Uh, I had that that game was the game that was airing on my local Fox station, so I had it going up on the iPad. I was watching it along with the Sunday ticket on my TV. But I mean, but holy crap! I mean, I thought this was supposed to be a good defense. I mean, uh, can somebody send out an Amber, amber Alert to uh, send out an Amber Alert to um, what's to what's his name to uh, Chase Young? I mean, where is he at? Where has he been? You know, in this game against Buffalo, you know, and I want to sit up here and hear well, he was double and triple team. You know, do you know how many defensive players were have been in the history of the sport have been doubled and triple team and somehow, some way made their presence felt in the football game? I mean, he was nowhere to be found. I mean, three to- three total tackles, no tackle for a loss, no tackles for loss, and no sacks. Their leading their se- their second leading tackler was uh, you know was Kendall Fuller, a cornerback. And their leading and their leading tackler in the game was Colt was Cole Holcomb, their linebacker out of uh, University of North Carolina. I mean, where's Chase Young at? Their number one two pick out of the draft and uh, and uh, and formerly uh, defensive rookie of the year from last season. Where has he been? I mean, nowhere to be found. This defense. If you go and look at his def at this uh, at their defense as a whole. They've get. I mean, look at the points that they've uh, look at the points that they've given up this season. They gave. You know, they weren't they weren't horrendous, but they weren't they weren't great, but they weren't horrendous against um against uh jet against the Chargers giving up tw- giving up twenty points. Gave up twenty points to the Chargers, twenty nine points to the Giants, and forty three points to Buffalo. You do the math. 49 points throughout the first uh, throughout the first two games and you do the 40 and then you do the 49 plus the 43 they gave up against uh, Buffalo they've given them 92 points in the first three weeks of the season think about that for them. they've given up 93 points in the first four in the first four weeks of or excuse me first three weeks of the season you know and it's I, the Charger. The Charger offense is good. We knew that going in, but that's the least amount of points they've given up all year. Was against the Chargers. They allowed Daniel Jones to look like Phil Sims. They gave up twenty nine points. And I understand Buffalo's offense is dynamic and it's one of the best in the league. And Josh Allen is an MVP candidate. But forty three points is still forty three points. I mean they they got they got they got they got to buckle things down quick, fast, and in a hurry before this season before their season and their chances of winning the NFC East slips away from them and slips away from them fast. Kind of key through turned over the ball twice, which you didn't like. Could get anything going rushing wise. J.D. McKissick, uh, Antonio Gibson, not a factor uh, on the ground. Terry McLaurin, Thomas Sims. 
uh, did absolutely nothing in the game. Just an absolute beatdown by Buffalo. And a moment in which you thought with the halftime score, you know, was 27-14. And you thought, hey, Washington, Washington might be in this. You know, they got the, the, you know, heading into... You know, heading into halftime, they were down two scores. You'd be like, ah, well, if Washington, uh, if Washington's defense steps up, makes a couple of stops, this game is very much winnable. That turned out to be not the case. I, uh, I am greatly concerned for them and their de- because if their defense is not good, their chances of win- of winning their division and winning football games in general goes in goes in the toilet if their defense can't make stops and force turnovers and get off the field and make things easier for their uh, for their subpar offense. And then item and then item number four is the Indianapolis Colts. This will just be a quick point. Colts are Colts are zero three. I mean, a team that went to the playoffs last year with Philip Rivers, they're zero and three. Lost twenty five to sixteen to the Tennessee Titans. Lost their home, lost their first two games at home to NFC West opponents. All things being considered, uh, Seahawks and Rams first two games of the season didn't show up against. Uh, and and then of course their first divisional, first road game of the season, and it happens to be the first divisional game of the season against the Tennessee Titans. You know, Tennessee picked up right where they left off. Ryan Tannehill, although turned over the football twice through for three touchdowns, and Derrick Henry did his normal Derrick Henry thing, couldn't stop the run. Derrick Henry on 28 carries ran for 113 yards on the ground and was just absolutely sensational. The Colts fall to 0-3 on the season. Uh, which is very concerning in that a in that AFC South. Granted, you know the Texans, the Texans and the uh, and the Jaguars are irrelevant and and are not making the postseason. But if the Colts are not careful, the Titans could easily run away and win this division by default because of how spotty the Colts have been. And yes, I understand their schedule to begin the year is not easy. You know, Dolphins. Dolphins, even though they're one and two, they won ten plus games last year. But it's not like that. The Indianapolis Colts were uh, were uh, cellar dwellers. They went to the, they went to the playoffs themselves last season, albeit with the now retired Nick Foles at, at QB. They get the Dolphins this week, Monday night game. October the 11th on the road against the Ravens. They get a layup with the, they get a layup the week after that against Houston, and then and then they get and then they get San Francisco and Tennessee back to back to and to close out the month of October. And then in November they get the Jets on Thursday. They get the Jets on Thursday night. Fine. They get Jacksonville a week after that. Fine. But then it's but then but then in mid but then in mid November heading into uh, heading into the month of December back to back Buffalo Buffalo and the Bucks get a break with Houston. Then the Patriots. Who knows how they'll be playing come the nineteenth of December. But then and, and then they get Arizona, the Raiders, and then Jacksonville again, and they're already sitting at zero, and they're sitting already at zero and three. And I understand, you know, that would have been floor if they would have started out the season three and zero. But you know, you got to you got to one and two, one and two, two and one. You can't be you can't be zero and three. You you just you, you you just can't, especially when you, especially when you got the feisty Dolphins coming up. The Ravens the week after that, you get a break with the with the Texans on December or, or excuse me October seventeenth, and then you gotta play and then you gotta turn around and play the Forty ers and then the Titans right after that. Colts gotta get them Colts gotta get themselves together, or else it's going to be a long season. Can the New York Football Giants, speaking of long seasons, can they win a game, please? 
And again, it's, it's the same thing I screamed and yelled about last year, or excuse me, last week. For all the rah-rah and all the hype and all the noise that Joe Judge made all throughout training camp and all throughout the offseason, and this guy is essentially, and all, all I heard was heard about was this guy was essentially going to become the second, was going to be Bill Parcells, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick uh, all rolled up into one, and he had, and he's what six and four, six and thirteen, six and fourteen throughout his uh, throughout his first nineteen twenty games as as a head coach in the National Football League for the Giants. I mean, my goodness gracious, man! I mean, if you cannot beat the the Atlanta Falcons, who are going to be one of the league's worst teams this year, who got stomped on by the who got stomped on by the uh, by the Philadelphia Eagles for Christ's sakes. Uh, to begin the season in week one were not a factor and were not competitive uh, again, you know, with two pick sixes in a game by the Bucks in week two on the road. And you you cannot, and I understand it didn't allow the Dolphins to put up 31 plus points, but for, all, for my goodness gracious, you cannot in any circumstances, A, allow that game to be closer for the Giants and to allow the Falcons to win that game via last second uh, field goal by coup by coup their uh, their their young kicker. I mean, my good. Can the Giants win? Please. You've you've made the playoffs one time since their since your 2011 championship. You've done nothing since that infamous Odell yacht trip, uh, the Miami before that playoff game against the Green Bay Packers. You haven't won a playoff game and won a championship since that Super Bowl 40 since Super Bowl 46 against the Patriots going on 10 years ago. I mean, what have you done besides make a whole lot of noise and 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 be talked about and be a topic of conversation about anything and everything underneath the sun besides winning football games, which it, which is a problem. I don't understand. I don't understand why teams today think it's necessary in the, in the 21st century to draft running backs uh, with their with their first round over with their first round. Uh, you know, with their first round picks when you're when they're re, when they're a rebuilding franchise, if you're if you're a contender, that's a that's a playmaker away from winning a championship, and you need a and you need a running back, and you draft them first round, he's there for you to have fine. But you know, whether it be the whether it be the Steelers, <coughs> excuse me, whether it be the Steelers drafting Najee Harris with their garbage offensive line, the quarterback, the their future at the quarterback position up in arms, up in smoke. Whether it be that or the or the Giants a few years ago drafting Barkley with their with their first round pick for him to be injured to hell and back and and his and his play and his performance not generate into any uh, into any uh, signs of 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 consistent winning and competitive uh, event eventually leading to uh, playoff football. I mean, why why do you bother when you, when you drafted Daniel Jones uh, at, at to be your quarterback of the future out of out of Duke a few years ago? I mean, what what are we doing? And then the coach with his Mister Rah Rah speeches, uh, with, with you know Mister uh, Mister High School Varsity Football Coach making his team run laps during uh you know in the uh, in the August summer heat. 
out there in Jersey during training camps because God forbid, because God forbid you have maybe one or two fights, you know, during training camp. I mean, my this is the NFL. We've been having we've been having training camp fights uh, in the league for the for the la- for the last hundred years or so, whether it be within the same team or when teams practice up against other teams. Joe, I mean, get the hell off yourself, swallow your pride, and wake up and and uh, and smell the coffee. I mean, can he can he win something? I mean, these are the Atlanta Falcons who stink. Matt Ryan is washed. Julio Jones ain't walking through that door no more. Roddy White is not walking through that door no more. Tony Gonzalez is not walking through that door no more. And all he and, and, and to lose at home, 17-14. I mean, are you kidding me? Saquon Barkley does nothing. You know, Evan Ingram drops every pass known in sight. He couldn't catch he couldn't catch coronavirus if he was unvaccinated and licked the bottom of a toilet seat. He couldn't catch coronavirus. He can't he can't catch it. He can't catch a freaking thing known to man. Evan Ingram stinks. That's enough. Am I mean what are we doing? All for his rah rah speeches and his ego. I mean oh my go sell it to somebody else will you please? Can you win games? That's all I care about. I don't care about your little. I don't care about your little dopey press conferences. I don't care about your little phony, fake ass, tough guy image. I don't care about you trying to be a Saban, trying to be a Saban Belichick hybrid, yelling and screaming, cussing guys out over the smallest, stupidest things, making them run all over the field until they until they drop dead and pass out due to heat exhaustion, vomit all over themselves, and 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 do up downs and do up downs until their knees get. Get weak and they and they and they give out from un- and their legs give out from under them. Who cares about all that? Win football games. It's the Atlanta Falcons for crying out loud. And these aren't exactly you know the 2016 uh, version of the Falcons either. Get it done and win games, Joe Judge. My goodness gracious, burning time burning timeouts like they're going out of business. Oh my God. Anyway. And and the Chargers taking care of business escaping Kansas City. I tell you, I'd be very concerned if I was a Kansas City Chiefs fan. They could they could just they could easily they could it's funny, you know, they could they could easily be three and oh as easy as they could be 0 and three and they're currently sitting at one and two. And if and if you would have told me that the uh, you know the Chiefs would be one and two through the first three weeks of the season, the Bengals be two and one, I'd have you drug tested. But that but that is, but that is the case. I mean, I mean, I just I don't, I don't know what the heck's going on with Kansas City. Mahomes was sacked twice, threw two interceptions. One of them really wasn't his fault. The first one really, really wasn't his fault. The receiver should have caught the ball over through the pass uh, th- over the middle of the field. Had his hands on it. You got to catch it. And then the second one was just a horrendous pass by Mahomes. Kelsey's wide open. All he's got to do is just drop it into like you know teardrop it, drop it into the bed basket into Kelsey's hands and arms. And you know, and the charge and the Chiefs are in business. Instead, he overthrows it, and it ends up being the uh, the catalyst to what. To what ended up being the Chargers' game-winning drive in the game, uh, to put them out in front for them to win the game, they got absolutely dominated in the first half. Halftime score is fourteen to three. Their defense, their their defense stinks. I mean, it's just absolutely horrendous. Herbert threw for four touchdowns, threw for two hundred eighty-one yards uh, in the air, 
Williams, seven receptions, 122 yards receiving, caught two touchdown passes in the game. So, so their defense is absolutely horrendous. Uh, whether it be run defense, pass defense, it stinks, and that's all that. And that's all that really matters. Could only get to Justin Herbert once on Sunday. You know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had a decent bounce-back game, 17 carries, 100 yards rushing on the ground. Mahomes, again, 27-44, didn't light up the scoreboard. Did throw for three touchdown passes, given that. Didn't light up the scoreboard as far as his uh, passing yards is concerned. Turned over the turned over the football twice uh, via, via interception. The second one was just a horrendous pass. Kelsey's sitting right there. All you got to do is just teardrop it and lob it in there. And instead, he overthrows Kelsey by 10 yards and ends up being an interception. For uh, for Los Angeles, which ended up uh, leading them to win the game. Tyree Tyree killed Clyde Edwards. Delaire fumbling the football all over the place. They turned over the football four times. You know, so things that you saw Kansas City never do uh, back in 2018, 2019. You know, is 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 turn is over the football. They turned it over. They turned it over four times. Hill fumbled. Alaire fumbled. Mahomes threw two interceptions. Very uncharacteristic-like for the Chiefs, but it ain't very uncharacteristic for them now because of the fact that you know that the Chiefs turned over the football uh, at two key crucial critical points in their loss against the Ravens uh, that Sunday night. Uh, you know, Kelsey had half of the game, and it's just—I mean, I don't know what's going on with them. I, I really, really don't. And, again, they could just easily be 0-3 as they are 1-2. And if they don't and if they don't turn things around quick, fast, and in a hurry, I mean, I mean they, they are the Chiefs and they have Patrick Mahomes and they should be okay. But if the Chiefs aren't careful, they could be looking, they could be looking at, you know, for the first time in a Patrick Mahomes era, wild card weekend. If you know, if they don't straighten straighten up and fly right, because you know, because the because the rate because they're all getting because they're all the hunt the the uh, what's that phrase the the hunters are now the hunted chiefs are are the chiefs as of this moment in time are now becoming the hunted whether it be by the Raiders the Chargers within their own division um, the rate the Ravens. Cleveland, who they easily could have lost to week one, uh, but but they're in trouble. And is you know, again, the hunters may be becoming the hunted if Kansas City's not careful. Because I, t- I tell you one thing, I, I, this this I will tell you, they better they better I, they better hit their knees and thank the good Lord for that uh, for that muffed for that muffed uh, snap on the punt. That uh, that Cleveland had in the early stages of the fourth quarter two weeks ago, because if it wasn't for that, Kansas City will be Kansas City would be riding a uh, would be riding a four game losing streak instead of a two game losing streak, dating back to, of course, the Super Bowl where essentially where where since the Super Bowl they have not been the same team since. So. And it was and it was a horrendous play by uh, it was a horrendous play by their cornerback on that final on that final on the Chargers final drive of the game how how they sent Tyron Matthew on a safety blitz inside uh, inside the red zone sent Matthew on a safety blitz late in the game 
um, and the and the chief def- and the chief member of the secondary stupidly pushes the pushes the charger wide receiver to the ground, warranting warranting excuse me a uh, an unnecessary not an unnecessary roughness a um a pass interference play which kept the charge which kept the charges alive late in that fourth quarter. I mean it's just it's I'm I'm pulling up I'm pulling trying to pull it up on uh trying to pull it up on my screen here so I can uh so I can re- go over it chapter and verse. You know, so I you know so I can give you the names and just be accurate. But th- there was such a terrible, terrible, but and I and I must have said it to myself about at least nine thousand times when it happened, when it happened live, and then after the fact when the game was over. I mean, what in the world? I mean, you're sending an all out, you're sending an all out blitz, an all out well, not an all out blitz, but you're sending Tyron Matthew, and literally Herbert took about two and a half steps at the most when he got the ball from when he got the ball from center and Tyron Matthew was already in his face and if that pass interference does not happen it's going to take an either miracle catch by the Kansas City excuse me by the uh by the Charger wide receiver to catch the to catch the football it's going to take a miracle it's going to take a miracle uh, it's going to take a miracle reception by him to keep the Chargers alive in the game, and also it's going to take. And also, it was it was going to be an, it was going to be an incomplete pass. They committed two they committed two pass interference penalties on the Chargers' final drive in under a minute. They had a pass interference was set up a first and ten at Kansas City's twenty yard line with forty two seconds to go, and then. And then it was, uh, and then before the, and then prior to the first and, and then prior to the first and goal, Matthew is screaming, screaming comes through the gap. It's in Herbert's face, and the guy stupidly knocks knocks the receiver down to the ground, which was such a blatantly obvious penalty, you know, that somebody in the upper deck could have made that call. It was so obvious, and it, and it ended up setting up. Uh, and it ended up set, and it set up the Williams four-yard touchdown catch, which ended up putting the Chargers out in front and ultimately won the game, 30 to 24. So I'd be concerned about Kansas City, and then finally you got to go to the Arizona Cardinals, who remain undefeated, with a fantastic performance going up against uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars and their Week Three matchup. Let's see if they can uh, keep it going and see if Kingsbury doesn't. You know, screw up the mojo. It doesn't screw up what's going right for the Cardinals because they are tr- playing tremendous football to begin the 2021 season. 50 minutes in, just getting started. We'll get to the four o'clock window of games. Recap those for Week Three right after this.
Welcome back to the MTK TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the four o'clock window of games, and then we'll take a break. And Colin Russo will join us in just a minute. Um, but how about the New York Jets, uh, who are just, I mean, you run out of words how to describe to the you run out of words on how to describe how painfully inept this football team is. They fall to only three, getting shut out by the Denver Broncos, 26 to nothing. Broncos, we'll get to them in a minute, uh, Start first 3-0 start that they have had since 2016. Uh, we'll get to them in a little, in a little, uh, in a minute. But it's with the Jets, like, what? I understand they're rebuilding, but you'd think for, and I understand it's his first year there and rookie quarterback and everything else, but you would think that, I mean, you got to give me a little more. I mean, to get, sh- and I understand the Denver Broncos defense, you know, with everybody healthy is one of the best in football. I get that. But, I mean, shut out, really? I mean, the receivers can't catch a damn thing. They can't run the ball. Zach Wilson is absolutely pathetic behind center. Got sacked five times. The offensive line's not great or not good at all, period. He turned over the ball twice. He was 19 to 35. Can't even throw for 175 passing yards in a game. It's like, what are we doing? And another thing, and I've heard this a ton across sports talk radio within the last couple of weeks since the beginning of the season started. You know, why doesn't why are the New York why do the New York Jets not have a veteran quarterback on their roster? Why don't they have an Andy Dalton, a Nick Foles, a Ryan Fitzpatrick, a um a J- hell, I understand he was a former Jet and it wouldn't feel good to the Jet fan, but a Geno Smith, a quarterback that's been around the block, a Jacoby Brissett even, a quarterback that's been around the block a little bit, that knows what it takes to win in this league, that can be a placeholder and can be a stopgap, that can essentially be the, be the franchise's sacrificial lamb until they get a decent offensive line or until they feel like that their franchise quarterback is comfortable enough and ready enough to go out there behind center on a week-in, week-out basis and and uh, and win and win games for the franchise. Zach Wilson's not there yet. They basically have thrown him out into the deep and thrown him out into the wolves, and essentially pray to God that 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 him that he doesn't get injured so badly to the point where they force their hand, where they have to bring in another quarterback. But they basically say, no, regardless how bad you play, and no matter how many times you get knocked around, you're going to you're going to stay in there and going to have to deal with it. Which I think was one of the uh, which 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 I think was one of the problems that the uh, that if looking back on it in retrospect that the Bengals had dealing with Burrow, you know you could have and I understand I and a lot of other Bengals fans wouldn't have perceived it the way we the way we probably should have and would have, but. Andy Dalton, and especially knowing that, and if I would have known that Burrow would have gotten his ACL destroyed in mid-November, the middle of the season, there would have been no harm, no foul than having Andy Andy Dalton, a guy that's been there a long time, knows the system. You know that we've reached the ceiling as far as his playing ability. 
put any Dalton out there as a stopgap so you either until you feel Burrow is ready sitting there watching and waiting and learning and taking the time especially with the offseason that he had as a rookie coming into the league with every with COVID uh, mandates and COVID protocols and no preseason games and everything else he he would have been he would have benefited a hundred percent I and I think in my eyes and just sitting there watching watching and waiting and and essentially allowing Andy Dalton to get killed by their pathetic turnstile offensive line than having your young franchise shiny new toy quarterback go out there and get killed and get pummeled into the grass and into the turf on a week in week out basis to have you know to and and run the risk of of wrecking of wrecking the of wrecking your player's career and wrecking your season to a certain degree but I don't, I don't, I don't get, and I don't understand the New, the New York Jets. I really, really don't. And give all the credit. Now, granted, they've had an easy schedule opening up against opening up against the two New York teams and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are now all three teams that they have played are a combined are a combined zero and nine to begin the season. So I get that. I understand that they've had a weak schedule, but still three and zero, still three and zero. Teddy Bridgewater has played has played very. Very well, has played very well for them. Uh, their defense has compl- has played their ass off, uh, and they're scoring. And they're and they're putting together and they're putting together some nice uh, shining moments offensively, and they're winning games. That's all that matters. The Dolphins, excuse me, the Dolphins, the Broncos, and the Jets are team or excuse me teams slash game number one. Game number two is, uh, speaking of the Dolphins, is their overtime loss to the Vegas Raiders 31-28 in overtime as the Raiders op- begin their season uh, 3-0. and Again, with the Raiders, I'm holding off on playoffs until further notice. I'm holding off on possibly stealing the division from Kansas City until later on in the season. And by later on in the season, I mean like towards the latter uh, weeks of the 2021 NFL regular season in, you know, late November, early December. Then that's when the, when the rubber meets the road. Then we'll see whether or not the Raiders are for real. You know, it's, you know I, I understand that they've played well. They had an excellent game against the Ravens week one. Week two, they, uh, they beat Pittsburgh down to a pulp. And in a gutsy, gritty game that I thought, quite honestly, they were going to win quite handily against the Jacoby Brissett and the Miami Dolphins, who have been, you know, who've been reeling the last week or so, and they ended up, uh, and and the Raiders made plenty of mistakes, and it was a lot of self-inflicted uh, things on Vegas's part, which is why the game went into overtime in the first place, but. They are three and zero, and to a Raiders fan, that's all that matters, and that's all you'd really want to, you know, all you'd really want to care about. But Derek Carr, who's played absolutely phenomenal to begin the new season, he's got three hundred eighty-six uh, passing yards on the for the game, two touchdowns and an interception. Matter of fact, uh, for the young season so far through the first three weeks. Derek Carr has already thrown for over a thousand yards in the first three weeks of the season. Thrown for one thousand two hundred and three passing yards, averaging eight yards a pass, six touchdown passes, only two interceptions, with a completion percentage of sixty-four uh, percent. So Derek Carr has been off to an absolutely phenomenal start to begin the season. Best in my eyes since his, uh, what could have been his twenty sixteen MVP cal- since the twenty sixteen. What a should have. What a 
coulda, woulda, shoulda been MVP season on his front. Uh, just an absolutely phenomenal job that he has had, that he and the Raiders have done here to begin the new season. And of course, um, and of course, uh, they were able to run the ball tremendously well. Barber with 111 rushing yards, 23 carries on the ground. Um, just an absolutely phenomenal job as the Raiders improve the 3-1 on a year. Dolphins fall to 1-2, losing 31-28. That is game number two. Uh, game number three is the Rams dominating the champs. And if you heard the podcast spot I did uh, with uh, with Spencer Cata, Cat, Catalano, yeah, Spencer Catalano, Cats Out of the Bag, I believe is the name of his podcast. Go check him out. Uh, on Spotify. If you heard what I said on his show, I was on his show on Saturday. Uh, I said, I said regarding the Rams Bucks game. I said I would be more impressed with Matthew Stafford and the Rams if they went if they beat the Bucks in a sh- in a shootout than if they than if they were to beat the Bucks in a grindy in a gritty grind them out defensive field position, you know, game, you know, winning, you know, uh, 13, 10, 13, 7, 13, 7, 13, nothing, 17, 14, 7, 10, you know, 16, 14, 10, 7, 10, 3, 10, nothing, something along those lines. I would, I'd be more, I would have be, I heading into that game on Sunday, I would have been more impressed if they would have, you know, beat if they would have beaten the the Bucks, you know, 35-21, 35 17, 42 42 21, 42 28 than then uh four, then 14-7. So which ended up being the case and therefore yours truly is impressed with the Rams and how good of a job that they have done just not just in this game but in this season. Uh, to begin it, you know they had the Colts week one playoff team from last year played uh, or not week one week two they played well uh, or played good didn't play well they played well and absolutely f- off the freaking charts against uh, against the uh, Bears which was an absolute layup to begin the new season in week one and then they defeat the champs who they did last November by the way this time in t- uh, last time last year in Tampa but it took care of business 34 24 Matthew Stafford, 27 of 38, 343 passing yards through for four touchdowns in the game. Got only got sacked only one time. Deshaun Jackson uh, turned back the clock on us with a three reception, 120 receiving yard, two or excuse me, one touchdown reception. Day Cooper Cup, phenomenal season he's had thus far. Nine receptions, 96 yards uh, receiving, and two touchdown, uh, two touchdown receptions. And as I said last week, you know if all things go according to plan, if they keep up and keep the pedal to the metal. Uh, Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford could be up there with the, the Stephon Diggs and and the Josh Allen's, the Mahomes, uh, Tyree Kill, the Brady Gronk, the Brady Mike Evans slash Antonio Brown, the, uh, the you know uh, the Russell Wilson Tyler Lockett slash DK Metcalf could be up there if they keep it going as one of the best quarterback wide receiver combinations. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams could be up there with one, could be up there uh, along with those pairs that I previously mentioned as one of the best quarterback wide receiver tandems uh, in the NFL right now. I mean, they have just had a phenomenal, a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal start to the 2021 season. And like I said, 
I was impressed by Matthew Stafford. It's not a single thing I can quibble about. Not a, not a single thing I can nitpick about and uh, you know and split hairs about. They played well. You know, their defense, they defense uh, came to their defense showed up and was ready to play. You know, now granted, Brady did throw for 432 yards. Uh, granted, that has an asterisk next to it because they because they did not run the ball. They did not run the ball. I mean, when Tom Brady is your leading rusher, you didn't run the ball. Throwing three carries, 14 yards, and a touchdown run for Brady. They didn't. They they absolutely nullified Tampa's rush uh, rushing attack, which has not been a huge factor to begin the young season. Uh, they did let Brady throw for 432. Granted, he dropped back the pass 55 times. Mike Evans, 88 uh, receptions on 106 yards receiving, but. Uh, the majority of that, you know, garbage time. So you kind of put that in a vacuum. But they shut down the Buccaneer offense. They shut down the Buccaneer offense extremely well. They sacked Brady three times. And the offense uh, and the offense was ready to play. Cooper Cup, Deshaun Jackson, Matthew Stafford, absolutely phenomenal job by the Rams. They start three. They start the season three and zero, tied for first place with the uh, with the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC with the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC West an absolutely phenomenal job by the Rams and they showed me a little something this is that was a game that that was a game that you you know want to put a little feather in your cap kind of games where you know if the Rams end up becoming something as the season moves along and if they end up facing the Buccaneers again that's this this could be a little something that could end up being in the uh in the uh, in the Rams' favor, and it's something to be proud of, uh, and it's something to be proud of, and something to uh, puff out their chest about uh, as the season moves, as the uh, young season moves along, as we head into the uh, month of October within a couple of days, within the next few days. But an an excellent win, an excellent, win. and the and I tell you this too. And you know, I hate to say it because I'm not a because I'm not a Ram fan, and they're not one of my favorite teams in the NFL. You know, don't really care for the coach, Matthew Stafford. I told you, Adam Fanon was overrated. Couldn't stand Jared Goff, and he was there too. I find the uniforms to be repulsive. Their damn midfield logo is not a Ram; it's a goat. Um, and I don't like the whole. It just outside of the st- I can't stand the owner. The owner is a piece of filth. Um, but and then and then and there's another part of me that also roosts against the Rams because you know to to uh, poke at my, to poke at my pal Mike in the OC. But I got I got to give credit where credit is due. I'm not going to be an idiot about it. I'm going to be objective and be as and be as fair as I possibly can be about it. The Los Angeles Rams are not only the best team in the NFC; they are the best team in the National Football League. They beat the champs, gave the champs their first loss of the season. The Buccaneers, the, that was the Buccaneers. I'm going to go back and look. That was the Buccaneers' first loss. I'm going to go back and look because they were, because dating back to the postseason of last year, they were riding this tremendous, tremendous, tremendous winning streak, of course, winning the Super Bowl and beginning the new season uh, 2-0. They handed the Buccaneers their first loss of the their first loss of the season, and their first loss since, wow, how about this? They handed the Buccaneers their first loss since the Chief game on November the 29th on Thanksgiving weekend. How about that? 
They handed they they gave the Bucks their first loss of the their first loss of the new season, their first road loss of the new season, and it being the Buccaneers' first road game of the new season. But also they the Buccaneers had not lost the game prior to Sunday since November the twenty ninth. That's the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend, week twelve against Can- against Kansas City at Raymond James. They had not lost the game since. And the Rams gave the Buccaneers their first loss since that Chief game on November the 29th, and their first and their first road loss since October the 8th, Week Five. Uh, the, the Thursday night game where Brady that where Brady lost track of the downs, held up the four fingers, lost track of the downs. So, their wow, their first road loss in nearly an entire calendar year, which is hard to believe. So, just to put things into perspective, the Rams gave the Buccaneers their first loss of the season, their first road loss of the season, it being their first road game. They gave the Buccaneers their first loss, ending their tremendous winning streak, dating back to week 14, December the 14th, in which they beat the Vikings 26-14. Gave the Buccaneers their first loss since week 12th, Sunday, Sunday of Sunday, November 29th of Thanksgiving weekend back in 2020 in which they lost to Kansas City 27-24. And it is also the and they also gave the Buccaneers their first road loss since the week five bear game on October the 8th on that Thursday night where Brady lost track of the downs in which they lost uh, 20 to 19 dropping at that point in time to three and two on the season last October. So just put that in mind. But anyway, getting back to the Rams, they're the best team in the NFC and the best team uh, in football. Took care of business. They took care of business against, albeit the Bears with an asterisk next to it, took care of business against three playoff teams from last year, beat the living tar out of the Bears, took care of business on the road against the Colts, and defeated and defeated the uh, the previously undefeated champs at home. And you know, and you fact that into the equation that the Buccaneers that the Buccaneers are long, no longer undefeated. Of course, the uh, you know the fort the Forty Nine ers lost to, lost to Green Bay. You can't put them into the equation. But the Green Bay got destroyed by the Saints, who got who were who were non who were not competitive against the. Uh, Against the Panthers in Week Two, the Packers have a loss. You can't put them in there, and they got mopped. And they got mopped. And Jameis Winston mopped the floor with their defense in Week One, first week of the season. Can't put them into the equation. The Seahawks, the Seahawks are horrendous. They are they're one and two for crying out loud. Um, we'll get to them in a minute as well. Um, and then of course you talk about all of football. The Chiefs, uh uh-uh. uh. The Ravens, uh uh-uh. uh. Uh. Denver, the Denver is fool's gold, so to speak, because they had a weak schedule. We all know the Denver Broncos aren't Super Bowl contenders. Raiders, you can't put there just yet. Chargers lost. Chargers lost to the Cowboys, and the Cowboys lost to Tampa, so you can't put them into the equation either. So, and, and you know, so you you know, and the, like I said, Cowboys Cowboys lost to the Bucks first week of the season, and then you go to the and, you know, and, and then the NFC in the, the NFC West, you know, the Cardinals the Cardinals are three and zero, but they did, but you know, to begin the season they did play, uh, you know, they did play Jacksonville. 
uh, Jacksonville, the Vikings, and uh, you know the Titan. The Titan win spoke volumes, but it did play the Vikings and uh, and the Titans. And nobody thinks that when the dust settles uh, and when you get into the thick of the uh, season, that they're going to be up there as one of the NFC's hell all of football's best teams. So the Rams are the best team in the NFC and the best team in football. Got the best record. Got one of the best records in football. Best records in the NFC. They're in first place. Took down the champs. Took down two playoff teams, quote unquote, with the Bears, and 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 uh, and beat the Colts. And their offense has looked phenomenally well. Has looked uh, absolutely phenomenal. And you can't tell. And you can't really tell that they missed the presence of Cam Akers. Uh, you know, with the with the torn with the torn Achilles prior to the season started. Excuse me, prior to the season starting. So. The Rams, so f- up until this point, they've done e- they've done everything well. I can't I can't kick and scream, can't yell, can't complain, can't nitpick, can nitpick, can't uh, split hairs. They're the best team in football as of as of this very moment. And in large part because of the fact that Kansas City's fa- that in large part because they beat the champs. The Packers got destroyed by the Saints in Week One, and the and the Chiefs have fallen flat on their face. But at this point in time, they're the best team in the they're the best team in the NFL. And sticking with the NFC West, you know, with the Seahawks getting taken to the cleaners by the Vikings, I mean that was a bad, 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 horrendous, horrific loss, thirty to seventeen. My brother pins it pins it all on pins it all on his defense which has absolutely imploded essentially since uh since uh, halftime of their of their week 2 game back in Seattle against Tennessee where they allowed Derrick Henry to go nuts in that second half they the defense absolutely imploded since uh, uh since uh, since halftime of their week 2 game they, the defense has just been absolutely f- uh, horrendous Making Kirk Cousins out to be Fran Tar- out to be Fran Tarkington. Look him up if you don't know who he is. Uh, th- going thirty of thirty-eight, eight only eight incompletions from Kirk Cousins. Throws for three hundred twenty-three passing yards, threw for three touchdowns, only sacked them once, didn't force a single turnover. No, keep in mind this this Viking team had no Dalvin Cook in this game, and yet their leading rusher. On 26 carries, Madsen still ran for 112 yards on still ran for 112 yards on the ground, and Justin Jefferson cooked up that Seattle secondary left and right with a nine reception, 118 receiving yard touchdown reception uh, day, and he also allowed Adam Thielen to reach Painter as well. I mean, the Seattle and again, my brother is going to pin it. It's going to pin it all on the defense and pin it all on defensive coordinator uh, Ken Norton, who's back on a hot seat, by the way. He's going to pin it all on him. But I also am going to give a little bit of a, a little bit of a, of the blame to the Seattle Seahawks. And I understand that in that in the second half that the Seahawks had no more than than you know two three possessions in the second half because the, because the Vikings absolutely dominated time of possession. 35 minutes and 53 seconds to the Seahawks 24:07. So I get that, and the Seahawks didn't touch the ball a whole hell of a lot in the second half, playing from a deficit, which I get and which I understand. And 
and isn't and isn't the offense's fault. But what is the offense's fault is when you have Russell Wilson, who I kicked and screamed and yelled about uh, to the heavens back in early October. This guy this is a joke. Can you guys get off of the Mahomes train? Give Russell Wilson credit. He has never had an MVP vote. Russell Wilson's disrespected. Doesn't get enough attention. Blah 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 blah. And and you know outside of outside of a really great first half against Tennessee, a good game against against the Colts in Week One, essentially hasn't been the same player since. And outside of outside of a game and a half, and going and going on what's been a complete full calendar year, you know has, I understand that Seahawks didn't touch the ball a whole hell of a lot offensively in the second half, but when they did touch the ball, they didn't do a damn thing. Russell Wilson. Uh, Russell Wilson's got to give it for the money that he's making, and and and, and all the noise and the hubbubaloo and and the and the and the commotion and ruckus and drama and nonsense that he that he uh, created in that interview with Dan Patrick uh, after the Super Bowl, ta- throwing his offensive lineman and throwing his teammates under the bus like that. For all the noise and all the commotion that he made in the offseason, for him to for his offense to only score 17 points against a defense that you swore if you watched it was the was the purple people eaters from their uh, from their Bud Grant days back over 50 years ago. I, come on now, I mean Russ Wilson's getting getting paid way too much. Gets talk is getting paid way too much. Has accomplished way too much in in previous seasons of his career for him to put up 17 points to the uh, mediocre at best, and I'm being nice when I say it, uh, Minnesota Vikings defense. And I don't want to hear as my brother tried to tell me after the game on Sunday. Well, blame the defense. Defense couldn't get off the field. Had little opportunities to possess the ball, which I get, and he's not entirely wrong. But at the same time, when you do touch the ball and your name's Russell Wilson and you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as your uh, as your one-two punch in your receiving core, you got to find a way to put the ball in. You got to find a way to put the ball in the end zone in the second half. They they put up they they put up a big fat goose in the second half against the Vikings and in three quarters including the overtime period in the second half against Tennessee you want to know how many points the Seahawks offense put up put up against Tennessee the week before six points three quarters of play six points they scored in the second half against Tennessee and in the second half against Minnesota they put up zero points I understand that they're deep that their defense is Light years away from their Legion of Boom days back in the early mid 2010s with Michael Bennett, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, uh, uh, Bobby Wagner, even though he's still on the team, Malcolm Smith. I get all that. I uh, um, uh, uh, what's the line? Bruce Bruce Irvin, the linebacker. I get that. I get it, and I understand that. I understand that this is not the same team and the same defense from their, uh, you know, from their Super Bowl years back in 2013 and 2014. But for the love of, but for the love of all that is holy, you traded a boatload of your first round, 
of your first round picks to get Jamal Adams. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't been a factor. And Bobby Wagner is a Hall of Fame linebacker. I get that, but you're, but you allow Kirk Cousins to look like Fran Tarkenton throw for three twenty three, three touchdowns. You let you let Justin Jefferson go off, and you let and you let their running game go absolutely bonkers when they had no Dalvin Cook. So I understand that. So, uh, so I, I blame I blame I blame both sides of the ball. Russell Wilson is making too much money, and they have too much firepower. Albeit that the running game isn't great, but they have too much firepower and star power on offense for them to for them in uh, for them in what five quarters of second half football put up a put up a combined six points in two games six against Tennessee and a big fat goose egg against the Vikings I don't care if you touch the ball I don't care if you touch the I don't care if you touch the ball twice you gotta put you met you got too much firepower the Viking defense heading into the season and especially throughout the first two games of the young season is is too it's too bad for for you guys to put up zero points with Russ Wilson making what he's making and the resume that he has, and you have uh, Tyler Lockett and uh, DK Metcalf as your wide receivers. Too good for you guys to put up zero points in the second in the second half of your game against the Vikings. And I, again, I understand that they didn't touch the ball a whole hell of a lot of time, and the Vikings milked the clock. I get that, but still, too much firepower, and, and Russ Wilson's making too much money to put up zero points against the Tennessee against the Minnesota Vikings defense that is far from the purple people eaters from back in the day, fifty plus years ago. And I and I and their and their defense is absolutely horrendous. Their their defensive coordinator Ken Norton needs to be put back on the hot seat. Put turn on the hot seat again for him. His defense is absolutely horrendous. Could not force a turnover. Only got the Kirk Cousins once in the game, and and got beat with the Vikings passing attack, and got beat with the Viking, and got beat by the Vikings rushing attack with no Dalvin Cook in the game, which which just bleeds in, which just which just bleeds defensive incompetence when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks. I mean. Were got taken to the cleaners by the Vikings in this game, absolutely dominated. And if you're the Seahawks and you're in fourth down territory in the latter parts of that football game, why in the hell are knowing that knowing that knowing that you're in four down territory? Why in the hell are you are you taking? Are, do you go back to back hail mary? Desperation deep passes into the end zone when you're in four down territory. You know, third when it, I think it was like third and thirteen, third and twelve, fourth and twelve, fourth and thirteen. You know you're in four down territory. You're in desperation mode. Why on back to back plays are you calling essentially hail marys into the end zone when 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 you, when you when you need when you need yards and you need to. And you need to quickly march your way downfield expeditiously when you're down two scores. Made absolutely zero sense to me. Their defense stinks. Their offense has been stuck in a rut since the first, since uh, since the second quarter of their of the uh, Titan game back in week two. Their defense is horrendous, and Ken Norton needs to be put back on the hot seat. No questions asked. 
Um, and then, of course, with the two primetime games, Aaron Rodgers works his magic. You know, it's sa- same thing, different year with Aaron Rodgers. You knew when the 49ers scored, and, I, and I'm sick and tired, and I may be the minor- in the minority on this, I'm sick and tired of Kyle Shanahan, who walks around and has the attitude and is talked about uh, throughout the throughout members of the media as if he's uh, the next Bill Walsh when he's blown two Super Bowls in his young coaching career. I'm sick and tired of Kyle Shanahan uh, of, uh, of of Kyle Shanahan playing with fire, fooling around with the quarterback position between Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance out of <clears throat> North Dakota State, who he, you know who he swears by. I, I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little sick and tired of that because I understand he didn't play that he wasn't phenomenal in the game and Steve Young, Joe Montana, he is not. Uh, he got sacked four times through an interception. You know, and and uh, it's not gonna blow you away with his uh with his pe- with his uh passing yard numbers and everything else. But in my philosophy, stick with the girl that got you to the dance. You know, again, I don't know how many times Shanahan needs to be reminded of this. The last full season he played for this football team, he got him to the Super Bowl. Now I understand it was in large part because you know he you had Kittle as your safety blanket. Their defense was off the charts and. Raheem Mostert ran over defenses like it was nobody's business, but and, and I'm not going to. But I'm pretty sure if I wanted to, I could find at least I could find at least five or six games where Jimmy Garoppolo, or five or six moments at the at the bare minimum, where Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, his uh, solid quarterback play won those games. Uh, for the 49ers and he was and he was not and he was not terrible against against the Chiefs had a bad four had a bad second half bad fourth quarter but he wasn't terrible and I understand you know that he overthrew a man he overthrew Emmanuel Sanders which, which should have put the game away but just think if he doesn't overthrow Emmanuel Sanders Trey Lance isn't even on the freaking roster that or if Richard Sherman and their defense doesn't collapse like a cheap tent and uh, and doesn't allow uh, Damian Williams Damian Williams to run all over him like uh, clockwork and doesn't allow Mahomes to essentially have the greatest fourth quarter of his young NFL career Trey Lance is also not on the San Francisco 49er roster so for you know so for Shanahan who gets talked about and certainly walks around with the attitude as if he thinks he's the next Bo Walsh take it easy is Jimmy Garoppolo the next Joe Montana? No. Is he gonna? Is his numbers gonna blow you uh, off the charts? No. But let's be fair. If that's not if if that's not Aaron Rodgers in a Green Bay Packer uniform, or if or if that defense knows how to make a stop and gets out of that soft, weak, pathetic zone in the final seconds of that game during the during the Packers' final offensive drive. From what I could see, Jimmy Garoppolo marched the 49ers down the field and set up a game and set up what honestly could have been and might have been a game-winning, a game-winning drive on Sunday Night Football against the Green Bay Packers, at home, home opener. So, 
and, and you can't sit up here and get cute and fool around with the clock and anything else like that. Some things just are what they are. You know, it shouldn't be the offense's fault. It shouldn't be on the offense necessarily to play to do the defense's job and to play defense when it comes to you know milking the clock and making sure that the you know whoever gets the ball last in this case Green Bay has as little time on the clock as possible. Their job is to keep the game alive, get down the field, and score. That before before the clock hits triple zeros, I understand this new age of football. You gotta you gotta worry about scoring, and also uh, in that situation when you have when Aaron Rod, when the Rodgers and the Mahomeses and the Braves are on the opposing sideline, that you want to leave them as little time as possible to conduct the game winning drive. I get that, but if the 49ers get out of that weak soft zone and know how to make a stop on that final drive in the game. Jimmy Garoppolo put together, albeit didn't have a great game, but put together a game-winning, a game-winning drive that that ended in a touchdown. 49ers win the game 28-27 and improved to 3-0 on the season, tied with the Rams and the Cardinals in first place in the NFC West. So, so please, I a little. I'm not. I don't want. I'm not ready, and I. I'm not ready to hear people, you know, throwing bouquets and making Trey Lance out to be Colin Kaepernick circa 2012. I, I not please. I, I understand Garoppolo isn't great, and again, he's no John Montana. But let's be fair. He did. He did conduct a hell of a drive. He did conduct a hell of a drive at the end of that game. At the end of that game. Uh, on the 49ers' last offensive drive late in the fourth quarter in the closing seconds. In the last full season, he did play. He got the 49ers to the, to a, to the Super Bowl. And he, and he deserves just as much praise and, de- and deserves just as much uh, credit for, for getting the 49ers to that Super Bowl as Kittle, Mostert, Bosa, and their defense that year two years ago. Got to be fair. But Aaron Rodgers is just an absolute freaking legend. Marches down to feel like it's nobody's business and goes up there and sets up Mason Crosby to kick a game winning field goal as time expires. Just absolutely phenomenal. Packers improve to 2-1 and one on the young season. And the Dallas Cowboys are the best team in the NFC East bar none. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, they stink. It's like their their offense made one play in the first quarter of that game and essentially took the rest of the night off. Their offense, you know, their offense, you know, offense uh, came uh, back down from the uh, from the heaven that was the uh, Atlanta Falcon game and just uh, you know and was very stagnant in the game. Dak Prescott only five incompletions, twenty one of twenty six, two for three touchdowns. Zeke looks like might actually be back and might be back on the come up. It looks like he could be uh, back to playing at that elite level where he was, where he's worth that mega contract he signed a few years ago. 17 carries, 95 yards on the ground, uh, ran for two touchdowns in a game as well. Absolutely phenomenal job by the Cowboys. They're the best team in the NFC East. As I previously mentioned earlier in the program, Washington's defense is overrated. It stinks. Uh, and I don't think that I, I understand it's only week three, but I think they're finished. Um, you know, the Giants can't get out of their own way, can't beat the Atlanta Falcons for crying out loud. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, we are in the middle of a rebuild. We know they're not going anywhere. 
the Cowboys the Cowboys are the NFC East best team. And if they don't win the division, it'll be to the Cowboys' own fault, not necessarily of anybody else's outside of the confines of Frisco and Arlington, Texas. So that's your week three week recap, excuse me. Colin Russo is standing by to preview the Jags Bengals Thursday night football matchup. Give he'll give his two cents on week three, along with uh, give us a little bit of insight of the Wisconsin Notre Dame game up in Chicago. Talk about when he and his father paid yours truly a visit uh, down in uh, the Charm City in late July. And we will talk Bengals Steelers and the state of his Jaguars. This is the Amatelicatelius podcast on Spotify. Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the Amatelicatelius podcast. Joining me now, friend of the podcast program uh, and son of sports talk radio legend Christopher Mad Dog Russo, and he's also a legend in his own right. Uh, coming at you live from Madison, Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, the one and the, and the only Colin Russo. Colin, good to have you back on the program. It's been a long time, pal. How you doing? John, thank you for having me on. Pleasure being here. Pleasure being here. How you doing? Anytime, man. I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, before we jump into the NFL right quick, just give the audience a little bit of a uh, progress report on how life now as a sophomore at the University of Wisconsin is about a month into the new school year. Sure, yeah, it's uh, it's busy. Uh, I love it, though. The weather's still good, so we're banking on that. It was at 75 today, so, I mean, at the end of September, you're still getting that good weather. Can't complain there. And, uh, I mean, the class has been all right. You know, the, the school year's been good. I've had a lot of fun uh, with the weather being nice. I guess that's just how this goes. But uh, And Wisconsin football's been bad, but we'll see. So, other than that, it's been a great year so far. Gotcha. Um, now, you, now Wisconsin this past weekend played a game against Notre Dame, which is where your older sister uh, goes. And that game took place down at Soldier Field in Chicago. And apparently it was like a huge family trip. Your father went out there and flew out to Chicago to go see the game. Give uh, the audience a little bit of a, a feel of how that game went, the environment in Chicago, and essentially just take us through how that Saturday went. We know Wisconsin wet the bed. But uh, give the audience a feel of how of how that day went on Saturday. Uh, you know, Chicago was awesome. I love the city. I think downtown is great. And uh, I was there with a couple of my buddies. We all we all had a great time. But I mean, when you get to the game, I definitely more Wisconsin than Notre Dame. Even though Notre Dame really does travel well, I was impressed with the amount of Wisconsin that was there. Uh, going into Soldier Field, uh, first time there actually. Great, great uh, stadium. Uh, that place is great. Uh, they have fields around it. You know, it's a good walking distance. It's fun. Um, and as for the game itself, I mean, I, I went in praying. We're coming off a bye, too. I went in praying that we'd be able to kind of get that passing game going because I knew if uh, yeah. Notre Dame would have, like, a go-ahead touchdown, I, we'd have to rely on that passing game to kind of uh, get back into that game. And we haven't shown anything in those in, against Penn State and Eastern Michigan. So uh, going into it, I was very nervous. But I thought maybe, you know, bye week, you know, these guys are motivated to Chicago, college game day. Maybe these guys are going to be ready to go. But as it turns out, uh, when they came out, the offense was flat the whole game. Uh, couldn't get anything going against the subpar uh, Notre Dame defense. The defense would give up 38 to Penn and Florida State, 28 to Toledo. And then, like, I think it was 14 to Purdue. Uh, we, it's not really a great defense. They have a couple of great players. They don't have a great defense. So, I don't know. Going after that, 
in the first three quarters, I mean, it was competitive. It was close. The Wisconsin defense is outstanding. And uh, then everything just collapsed uh, top to bottom. The defense still played pretty well. But even the third string came in and he came down, brought him down the field. Big touchdown for them. They had that kick return. The special teams was horrible all game. And then obviously the two straight pick sixes to end the game, just the salt in the wound. But uh, the game was a disaster. And you know what? Hopefully it's a wake-up call for the program, for the quarterback, for uh, Paul Christ, everything. So we'll see what happens there. Gotcha. Um, so that, so what was like the, what was the reason why those two teams, uh, played, played specifically in Soldier Field rather than at South Bend or, uh, up in Madison? Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, this was technically a Notre Dame home game. Uh, I guess they just did a, some sort of home and home. I know they did it a number of years ago. They scheduled that home and home. And last year we were supposed to be at Lambeau against Notre Dame too. We rescheduled that because of the COVID year and you only did big 10. We rescheduled that to, I believe, 2025 at Lambeau. So that was kind of our home game was at Lambeau, and their home game was at Chicago. So we kind of right. had their home game. We're going to play them again. It's kind of like a home-and-home home neutral site, which I'm cool with. I think it's a cool vibe when you do it. You'd rather – maybe you'd rather a big team like that come into your home uh, stadium and kind of not have that half-and-half. Half. It, was, it was fun. It was, it was a good time. It's kind of cool to travel somewhere to go to a game like that. Gotcha. And for those of you all that don't know that are new to listening to this program and just sort to wet your whistle, um, you and your dad made the trip to my neck of the woods down in Baltimore uh, last, uh, not last, but this past July, late in the month. Um, and so just give an audience a feel of, uh, of the reason why you were in town and, and I will, and I'll kind of fill in the blanks as far as how the day went with the three of us. Sure. Uh, so for that whole week, uh, my dad and I, we, uh, went to three baseball cities, uh, to see games, see ballparks. We started off in Philly, uh, saw a Phillies game. And then we'd spend two days in Washington and then Washington was great too. And then we went to Baltimore too. So we went to those three, uh, we saw all three parks. I thought, um, Phillies, I thought was a cool area because you had the basketball, the football and the, uh, Phillies right there. And that one quadrant, uh, Washington, I thought was in a bad spot. I didn't really like Washington that much. And as Baltimore, obviously, came to New York is great. The atmosphere is great. Uh, there's nobody there, but uh, in terms of like the ambiance and the, uh, the uh, right. ballpark, it was, re- it was a really cool spot. And I like how you could kind of walk there. Yeah, it was really nice. And one of the, one of the favorite moments of the afternoon, for, or just of the entire day for me, one is that your dad would not shut up about the area that you guys were staying at. It's like, yeah. Ty, this is a really nice neighborhood. Yeah, like they live there here. Love like, the water. Really nice. Yeah, he loved the water. I'm like, he's like, all right. Like, like he said it like in a way as if I don't know, as if I haven't been living here for the past uh-huh. 19 years, but it was but it was funny. And another thing too that I think was the highlight that was the highlight of my day. We went to go uh, see Marlins Orioles. It was either the bottom of the sixth or the seventh inning. And out of the clear blue sky, your father turns to you and says, think about all of the Baltimore legends of the sports teams that played here in the late 60s, early 70s. And he started going down the list of all the players. And he brought up Gino Marchetti. And somewhere around there, you said, Oh, he's not. He said something. You said something along the lines of, "Oh, he's not as good as Aaron Donald." And then he was like, "Are you kidding, Gino Marchetti?" Who who? And he went down the. And then he went down he's the itinerary of yeah. 
of everything he did. And he, and he turned it, and I'm sitting, just to paint the picture for the audience, I'm sitting between the two of them. So Colin is to my left, Dog is to my right. And Dog turns to me and says, hey, give me your phone, Ziggy, you can pull up at Gino Marchetti's stats. And he pulls out his blue glasses out of out of his out of his short pocket and starts going through Gino Marchetti's stats right in the middle of a baseball game. These two are arguing, like Colin said, for a full inning of who was better, Gino Marchetti or Aaron Donald. And I, I'm we're sitting. We could have been. We probably would have caught on television. We were sitting right behind the third base dugout, and these two are arguing in the middle of the sixth inning of Marlins Orioles in late July of who was better, Gino Marchetti and Aaron Bell. That by far was the highlight. Was the highlight of the day. It was absolutely hilarious. And you know, he goes on these tangents where he just goes up to these guys who played like before the space race, and he starts talking about how fantastic they were. And then you kind of bring up a newer guy who's clearly like Donald, a first ballot Hall of Famer, an all-time great. This is the type of guy that's literally a generational player. And then he just kind of brushes them off for the guys that he probably never saw play. He does it all the time. Like, and I sometimes, sometimes he's right. Sometimes he's right. And sometimes he's just completely delusional and like has that sort of like old mindset that like, you know, the games were regular back that back in the day type of thing. So that's how right. I sometimes it ticks me. Sometimes it doesn't. I, I don't, I can't really give him the time of day sometimes. Right. <laughs> right. But, and it's funny. Cause I called, I, cause I called him yesterday on, on his show and I, and I was like, well, dog, all things being considered because he lost his mind and went ballistic. When I said that uh, comparing the 86 giants defense to the 2000 Ravens defense was pure blasphemy. They nearly popped a blood vessel yelling so loud last week. And I called him yesterday. I said, look, to be fair, you were born in 1959 and you act poetic about about Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth as if you as if you saw every game. And he was like, but you don't need to see Joe DiMaggio to know that he, he had a he had a 56 game heading streak or that Babe Ruth hit over uh, 500 home runs. I'm like, well dog, it's it's still the same premise. And he screamed and yelled he screamed and yelled at me. I don't know if you heard it or not. And he was like he was like Jai I get can't blame Jai. He's 17 he's 17 eight years, 18 years old. He's like my kid. But they say everything starts today. And he started losing his mind. And I find it so funny, another thing, and then we'll get it on into the NFL. I find it so funny how your dad thinks that I'm younger than that. I mean, I am younger than you are, but I find it so funny how he thinks that I'm 17, 18 years old in college, yet me and you are the same age. You were born he, April he, 18th. Yeah, he gets and I, too. Like and I'm and I was born a, a month and eleven days, literally after you were, and yet he thinks I'm younger than you by two years. It's the funniest thing in the world. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. We digress. Getting into the getting into the NFL, uh, just give uh, your, the audience your before we get into your Jaguars, of course, give the audience a little bit of a feel of how you have taken in and your reactions, your overreactions, what team you think is overrated, underrated, teams you're worried about, not worried about throughout the first three weeks of the season thus far at this point. I think the Raiders, have I think that that's the team that really pops out as the team that really surprised people. I thought they lost a lot of offensive linemen going into the year. Uh, You didn't really know what you are going to get out of Carr. He's never really taken that next step. And uh, they have a couple of receivers. You knew those guys would be good, but you didn't really know anything about the defense. They had a couple guys come in. They had guys getting healthy. Abrams finally healthy. But they came in, and they're playing great. Uh, they're playing some really, really good football. They're scoring. Carr's playing great. They're running the ball effectively enough, but their, their passing game has been excellent. Uh, the defense has been solid. 
but like, and that's a great, that, that division has turned into a really, really good division. And uh, Chargers is another team I thought has been interesting. That team has got a lot of talent. And, you know, that game against the Chiefs on Sunday, that's the type of game that you think, like, that's the classic game that the Chargers will find a way to lose because that's what they do. And maybe that mm -hmm. was kind of a, a little thing to see, like, about the new coaching direction they have. And maybe Staley coming in, getting Lynn out of there. Maybe they kind of get that dark cloud from above them, away from them. I mean, they blew the game against Dallas. And that was a classic Charger loss, and they should have won. And uh, But they finally were able to get over that hump. Maybe that dark cloud's kind of simmering out a little bit. I think that's a very interesting division. And uh, the Cardinals, too. I mean, that you knew that team would be good. They were a trendy pick. But that NFC West is going to be very good, and that AFC West can be very good. I think the Western side of football is in very good hands for the time being. I agree. The thing about the Cardinals and the Raiders that I would be concerned about is the coaches. Uh, Kingsbury, Kingsbury, in my opinion, I think is the worst coach, worst coach in that division. His team completely collapsed in the second half of the season, especially in the Ram game going up against John Wolford, you know, a, a third straight quarterback out of the AAF slash XFL who had never played an NFL game in his life. You know, playoff spots on the line and Cliff Kingsbury on third and 15 at around midfield with Kyler Murray, who's playing on one good leg, calls a read option on third and 15. So I'd be concerned about a little too I'd be yeah, yeah I'd be I'd be concerned about Kingsbury. You know, he's got more talent. He arguably he arguably has probably the best roster or at least the best roster on the offensive side of the football out of everybody in the entire division. And, you know, they should be, and I understand it's only one year, but they should be, and I understand they're still undefeated, but, you know, they got, they, I got to see more from them. And I got to see more from, from their coach as the season moves along. And then with the Raiders, you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen this show. I've seen this movie before. They start the season out great. September and October, they play out of their minds off the charts. Hell, they beat the Chiefs last, last October on the road, giving the Chiefs their first loss of the season at the time last year. And then, and then you know, around slash after Thanksgiving and all throughout the month of December, they completely fall apart and they collapse. So I want to see – so I'm, hold, I'm reserving judgment and reserving me uh, penciling in the Raiders as a playoff team until – November, December, when the when the rub when the rubber meets the road, they've played well first two weeks of the season. Granted, and yes, they have beat. Yes, and yes, that they two out of the three teams that they've beaten have been playoff teams, and they're the first team I believe in NFL history to start the season three and zero, going up against three opponents that won ten or more games from the previous season. So I'm not poo-pooing that under any circumstances. Carr has played well. Yes, their defense has been outstanding to begin the season, but. I want to see where the Raiders stand when, when they start to feel themselves a little bit and they start to hear that noise that if the Raiders do this, this, and this, then they'll be in the then they'll be in the playoffs. I want to see what they do then because it's all fine and dandy early September, first three weeks of the season, where everybody is still trying to find themselves and the season is still young and there's so many unknowns and question marks around the league. That is that is what that is when we'll see what the Raiders are made of. Same thing goes with uh with Gruden, the head coach. Yeah, and you know, Gruden's won before. So, I mean, I, I think he's less of a question mark. He's a very quirky coach. He's very dysfunctional in the way he does things. He's a lot of experience doing this. He's been, I think this is like his fifth, maybe fourth or fifth year here there. And um, that, as for that team, obviously it's three weeks in the season. These teams can collapse or these teams can bounce back. 
I mean, the Colts is a team to watch. They're 0-3. They haven't gotten anything going. I'm not sure if they will, but that team's got a lot of talent. You don't know if they'll bounce back. Uh, the Titans. Carson Wentz is an issue. Yeah. Carson Wentz. Is, he can't stay. He can't stay healthy. And it's just. He didn't have it's a always, either. He's not prepared. He didn't have a preseason. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not really familiar, top to bottom, with what they're trying to do, and he can't stay healthy. Right. It's it's always it's always something with Carson Wentz. I swear. And it's just. You know, he has to realize that you can't you can't last and you can't be successful as a quarterback in this league playing reckless. And he and he play, and he's reckless way too much with his body. It's just what it's always it's always something with Carson Wentz. Whether he, and and I and I and I'm starting to feel like it wasn't necessary. Now the Eagles now the Eagles are part are have a lot of blame on them with Peterson. And um, the GM's name, what's his face? Uh, Howie Roseman yeah. of that situ of that situation, how they handled Wentz. But you know, and again, they're not they weren't perfect in that situation either. But it, it, but it's like that success has essentially followed Carson Wentz to Indianapolis. Indianapolis was a playoff team last year, and, all, and already they start the season over three. Granted, they went up against three playoff teams from last season to begin to begin the year, but. One, one and two, two and one, not zero and three. I mean that that's just unacceptable. Yeah. And then of course, uh, and then what about uh, what what were your thoughts after the Ravens Chiefs game? I said last week that Lamar Jackson played as ballsy, excuse excuse my French, as a performance that I've seen him uh, have in his young career. They were excellent. He was excellent rebounding off that horrendous first quarter where he threw the two interceptions and the pick six to Tyron Matthew. The Chiefs' defense stinks. They were absolute. They should have lost if it wasn't for a missed uh, punt against Cleveland early in the fourth quarter. They should be 0-3. The defense is absolutely horrendous. Uh, they couldn't stop the run. They made Lamar Jackson out to be uh, out to be uh, Johnny Unitas with his arm because he made a couple of plays throwing the football. How does Hollywood Brown get that wide open? in the middle of the field I'll never understand and then the Charger game on Sunday got cooked up got cooked to pieces by Justin Herbert and then the play that I Alan screamed Gilbert, and yelled yeah. about yeah and the play that I screamed and yelled about that was that was absolutely stupid the first pass interference play was a penalty on the Chargers final drive at the end of the uh, game was a little ticky tacky but the second one was just absolutely egregious. Yeah. They sent Tyron Math. They sent Tyron Matthew on a safety blitz. Matthew was screaming, literally like uh, six inches away from from uh, Herbert's face. Herbert rushes the throw off his back foot to the right uh, right corner of the end zone, and the Chiefs cornerback, I forget his name, stupidly just puts his arm it, out and just knocks him down to the ground. Reminiscent of the, uh, the pass. that New Orleans game. The, that New Orleans. Uh, yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, the, it was it was completely stupid. Yeah, and as for the uh, the Ravens, I mean, I going into the year, I didn't really know what I'd expect out of them. They had a lot of injuries. That team seemed to get figured out as the year goes along, and I so that's why I'd hold off on them. You know, Lamar is kind of turning into a winner, and he's like doing whatever he can to win, and that's a good development trait that you want out of a, your franchise quarterback. And I give him a lot of credit there. Like Lamar, you can't slander Lamar, but it's the rest of the team and maybe the game plan that they usually run that you kind of get nervous about because they have a tendency to get figured out as the year goes along. Uh, it's mm -hmm. kind of having that rushing attack, that dynamic quarterback, that's kind of hard to stop in the beginning. And then people kind of game film, they start preparing better. Then he starts to maybe dial it back a little bit. So I'm nervous about how they'd get figured out later in the year. But I mean, they stole that Detroit game. They had no business winning no. that game. Detroit played no. 
that defense played a hell of a game. I, I that Detroit team, that that team is competitive enough. I think that team's played pretty well uh, under Dan Campbell to start the year. But uh, as for that uh, Ravens team, they stole that game and that Chiefs game. They deserved to win because they just kept with them. It was a it was a, it was a hell of a game to win. Uh, and uh, Lamar played great. He's been playing pretty pretty great so far. Uh, I didn't think they really deserved to win that. Uh, that first game against the uh, Raiders. I thought the Raiders deserved that. I thought the Raiders played really, really well. That came to play with a lot of guts. Um, and then as for them going into the, the difference of the year, I know they have a terrible end of the schedule, a very difficult end of the schedule. They have like the Packers. They have their two Browns games. There's two Steelers games. They have the Rams. They have the Dolphins. They're at Chicago. So it's kind of weird games here and there. And then that end of the year is really going to be telling about how they do things because obviously the AFC North is very competitive now too. But as for the Ravens, I thought – Every game they play is a great game. That's good experience to have as a team. You want to play in these gritty, grind it out, do whatever you can to win games because that's what a playoff game is like. So that's good to see that they're in those type of games. Uh, Harbaugh knows how to win. But, I mean, that's an interesting team to follow for sure. Yeah, just to close out the season from week 12, from week 12 on, home against the Browns at the Steelers. Steelers might be a dead caucus by that time, so – so I'll uh, so we'll get, you know that you can put a little asterisk next to that game, and then at Cleveland again, week fourteen, uh, and then and that first Browns game, by the way, is a, a Sunday night. It's either a Sunday night or a Monday night game, the twenty eighth of November, and then it's home against the Packers at the Bengals. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, the Ravens have killed the Bengals in the last few seasons or so. Um, and in week 17, home against the Rams. And in week 18, home against the Steelers. So the advantage that the Ravens do have is that is that uh, that the two Browns games are, they have within uh, three weeks of each other. They play two games against the Browns in three weeks, one of That's them being schedule. at home. You're right. And they also and they and the benefit is that they also get is that they also get um, the the Packers and the Rams. Uh, at home along with the Steelers and the Rams I think would be can be a game that the Ravens could steal because you know I I believe this is the for one the Ravens killed the Rams uh killed the, they absolutely destroyed the Rams when they played them at the Coliseum back in 2019 um to the Rams the West Coast team uh, with the warm climate, everything else, they play the Rams week set week seventeen, second uh, day cold. of the new year. So it's going to be cold and not, and they got uh, and they have a dome, uh, and the Rams have a dome quarterback, which will be to their uh, detriment. So they yeah, have that dome their, quarterback. Yep, they have that in their uh, right. They have that in their back pocket. So they they've impressed me. And that game should have never have been as close to rely on that 66 unbelievable yard field goal by Justin Tucker. That they should have that game should have been 31-17 against Detroit. It shouldn't have came down to a 66-yard field goal. It did either way. But anyway, they they they've shown me something. They've shown that they uh, that they know how to play from behind. They don't quit. They don't give up. Lamar doesn't throw in the towel, and he takes on this mindset of. I'm going to put you guys on my back and come hell to high water. I single-handedly like a point guard, like a point guard in a, in, you know, in, in the, in the basketball game, I'm going to put you guys on my back and I am single-handedly by myself. Even if I have to, I am going to take over this football game and I am going to win it. And if you don't, and if, and if the opponent doesn't like it, then stop me. But if you don't, I'm going to embarrass you and I'm going to take over this game and win it by, by my lonesome, which I think, was the uh, silver lining and the one bright spot of 
Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins going down before the season started, and no Rashad Bateman, their first-round draft pick out of Minnesota, uh, the first three, four weeks of the season. That was the one benefit that, that is that this was a litmus that this can be looked at, and it has been for the most part, and he's passed it for the most part as a litmus test of uh, as a litmus test for Lamar Jackson and developing as a more of more or less as a leader for this football team and stepping up and being the guy that everybody can rally around and rally behind so they can, so to put them in a situation where they can win football games just out of sure will and the, and the, uh, and the hunger of wanting to, of wanting to win those grinded out gutty football games. Then in the past, the Ravens had lost uh, a lot of nine times out of 10. And, you know, you, the one thing I'd say about that is you get nervous because you don't really want to rely on one player for your rushing attack and your passing attack. I don't know how reliable right. and consistent that can be. And also, it's kind of dangerous. I mean, Lamar's done it for many years, and he's been healthy. So, like, you can't say that, but it all takes one shot. You don't really want one guy because if he's not playing well, then the whole team's going to utterly just crumble to pieces. You can't have – nobody else on that team is going to help him steal a game. It's got to be Lamar which is why you kind of get nervous because you don't really want all that riding on that one guy. Uh, but other than that, I mean, that's an interesting team to follow. And he's really starting to turn into a winner. You're, I was, you got to be happy with his growth if you're a Ravens fan. Absolutely, 100%. Um, Dallas is the best team in the NFC East. Washington's defense, it stinks. You know, like the Giants and Daniel Jones look like uh, Phil Sims dropped 29 points on them in that Thursday night game. They were extremely fortunate to win that game, and they got absolutely destroyed. I understand that he's an MVP candidate, and they're a, a Super Bowl contender, but they got absolutely just ran out of the building by the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, the Bills are really – that team gets hot fast, and, you know, they have such a dynamic passing attack, and, you know, it's – they're very, very dangerous, and the lack of running the ball makes you nervous like last year, but, I mean, as long as Allen's healthy, that team's good. And then other teams right. like the Dolphins and stuff like that, I mean, like that AFC East is interesting, to say the least. Uh, you know, I don't really know if I trust the Patriots yet, but they're going to get better as the year goes along. They always do. And then um, the, as for the Dolphins, I mean, they got kind of screwed at that two injury. But Brissett's serviceable, I think. I don't even know. But, I mean, like, that AFC East is going to be interesting. I don't really know what to expect from there. And as for the um, uh, the team that they just – I mean, the Bills are going to be good. <laughs> that was a torch, what they, what they did. They That was very, very, like, personal, it felt. But uh, <laughs> Allen was uh, – Allen's a beast. Obviously, he's going to be – I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and he's right. a tough player. He's the type of quarterback you want. You know, he's gritty. Uh, he's mm -hmm. the type to do whatever he can. He doesn't care if it gets ugly. Uh, and then he could obviously throw it to every, every single point in the field. So you'd love that. But I mean, yeah, right. I mean, very, very interesting to follow them as the year goes along. It, it's funny how he and Lamar are like, you know, or you see, they're like really, they develop like a bit of a kinship because they, their play styles aren't the same. But they both have that same similar mindset of of you know I am going I am not going to go down and lose this game without a fight and if I have to I'm gonna put my team on, on my back and I'm gonna uh, by myself single handedly will my team to victory. Um, sure. What was yeah? What was another? I was going to bring up uh, some. Oh, I'm concerned about the Dolphins. No two for it for the next few weeks. 
Their defense hasn't been as good as anticipated. They were they were great against the Patriots, given that, but great. you know they were got they got destroyed by Buffalo week two, and then they lost against the Raiders in overtime. I'm very concerned uh, about uh, my, about the uh, Miami Dolphins, who I picked to go to the playoffs through the first three weeks. They're at one yeah. two. Yeah, I know that's very a nice team for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think they'll figure it out. Flores is a tough coach. Uh, that defense is probably going to figure it out. I think offensively, they're going to probably maybe get those kinks out of the way. Uh, their offensive line is getting better, but Tua got destroyed in week two. Um, and then as for Waddle's actually playing pretty well, but he hasn't really been in the open spaces they'd expect him to be. Uh, Brissett's serviceable. He is. Uh, you know, that guy's been there before. Uh, and then as for the defense, the defense just got to, keep everything in front of them. They have so much talent. I don't know. Well, they'll figure it out. Uh, that's an interesting team. You kind of get nervous about them, though, because they don't want to fall behind in a division that the Bills could probably run. And you don't really want to fight for that wild card with a lot of great teams in the AFC. Great teams. Good teams in the AFC North. And right. in the, in the AFC North and the AFC West. You get nervous about that. Absolutely. Um, can, you know, can the Giants can the Giants win a game with Joe Judge, you know, who thinks he's uh, – Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick, and Nick Saban reincarnated for all the rah-rah speeches and all the bullcrap that he pulled throughout training camp, making his guys run around the field, do up there. We're not in high school, Joseph. Yeah. These are grown men. They do this professionally. Win games and quit worrying about the uh, the dog and pony show of trying to make yourself out to be, you know, Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Macho Man. I remember the something like that. Like, geez, now, like, yes, please. Like, like, get the toughness out of them like geez. <laughs> I, it's funny i i brought i said i called him herman boone last week i was like what do you think about herman boone making a team run you know every single time you screw up on the field it's yeah. just like oh uh, there is probably there's probably nobody that's happier than to see the giants on three than me because i oh that, that he is so tough to take oh my god i know god, you don't like judge i don't know yeah it's a he's an acquired taste to say the least I can't. I can't. You you can get away with that stuff when you win and when you're successful. Yeah. When you haven't won anything, keep your mouth shut and just focus on winning football games. Will you yep. please? Uh, what was, it's just uh, it's it's just disgraceful. The Packers, you know, the, the nice win against San Francisco. A nice win against San Francisco. Um, they, you know, they could, you know, this could be the plight of them, you know, beginning to go on this absolute hot streak and not turn back. Uh, you know, they were horrendous against the Saints, uh, not good in the first half against the Lions. They should be fine. Um, and then, of course, with the 49ers, you know, uh, Kyle Shanahan, who everybody talks about and he thinks of himself as if he's the next Bill, Bill Walsh. Yeah, I'm I'm so sick and tired of the foolishness with this Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo. We all know Jimmy Garoppolo is no Joe Montana and is no Steve Young. But my goodness gracious, he makes Trey Lance out to be 2012-2013 Colin Kaepernick. I mean, does he forget that the last full season Garoppolo played, he got him to the Super Bowl? And I understand that, you know. I'd say, you I tend Kittle, to be on board with that, too. I tend to be on board. Right. Like, like Garoppolo is going to win you games now. Maybe Lance will win you game next year, but I think Garoppolo is probably the guy – you can trust to win a game right now. And I, I don't know that little project. I mean, it works enough. I hate it. Uh, at least you're getting two guys with experience in, but I mean, I don't know, maybe a little too cute. He's playing, he's playing with fire screwing with the quarterback position. You know, the, even though the four nights had a bad year last year, they're not a rebuilding team. They're a win now. They're a, they are a win now Super Bowl contender type team. And they have too much talent on that team and playing too good of a division to be 
farting around and fooling around and screwing around with the with the quarterback position. Stick with the girl that got you to, that you brought with to the dance. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Quit sitting there and trying to oversimplify and overthink things because he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and thinks that he knows something that apparently the rest of that the rest of us football uh, peasants do not. I mean, I, oh, he carried. Oh, oh, he he is so cocky and so arrogant. He thinks he invented the sport. You're not Bill Walsh. It's the same fool that blew not one, but two double-digit leads in the Super Bowl. The implosion 28-3 with the Falcons and the debacle last year where Richard Sherman knew how to cover Tyree killing Sammy Watkins. And I understand that Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew Emmanuel Sanders and would have been there are a couple plays away from the game. There are a couple plays away. Right, but Jimmy Garoppolo has no need to make that pass to put the game away and essentially cover up and do the defense's work if the defense doesn't implode uh, doesn't implode against Mahomes and and let Damian Williams run all over him in the fourth quarter. So so if let's think about this for a minute. If uh, if Emmanuel Sanders catches that pass or if uh, Mahomes doesn't convert that. Uh, third and 15 across the field to a wide open, and I mean wide open, Tyree Kill. Trey Lance is, isn't even in, isn't even on the freaking roster. So I, I get I get so ter- and again, and I understand he's he's no um he's no uh Joe Montana, but for, and he didn't play and he didn't necessarily play a great game as a whole for four quarters, but Jimmy Garoppolo did march march the 49ers downfield, which could have which could have uh, won them the game. He put, you know, with the game winning touchdown drive that put them out in front with with 30, 40-ish seconds left to go. I understand that they left too much time on the clock for Aaron Rodgers, and if their defense would have gotten all, all, out of that soft zone, they would have won the game. But he did march down the field and 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 then put together a clutch drive that put the 49ers out in front late. I mean, does Kyle Shanahan recognize that, or are we the only ones? Yeah, it's just such a turnoff. We yeah. transition. We transition to the uh, Thursday night game and, and on Thursday night between your Jacksonville Jaguars and, and my Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I'll save my Bengals first. What are your thoughts on your uh, 0-3 winless Jaguars in a situation with Trevor Lawrence, who hasn't played great? Team just has been, ick, and and what the hell is going on with Urban Meyer? Yeah. Um, as for the Jags uh, and Lawrence, we'll start with Lawrence. I'm not necessarily worried about Lawrence. I think Lawrence has had a lot of growing pains. Yeah, I think he looks a little uncomfortable out there. But to that point, the Jaguars lead the league in drops. Like They are bad in that to territory. Uh, the receivers are not creating separation, and they have a lot of holdings and false starts and shifts, you know, a little ticky-tack technical things that Herbert Meyer should not be making they're making those mistakes and putting him behind the chains every single drive. So that doesn't help. Uh, you can't really get sort of a, and the running game has barely gotten going. He can't really get any sort of rhythm. Uh, I, I'm not worried about him. I think he's going to be fine. I think this is honestly probably good for him. He's being challenged for the first time in his life. Um, I think he could use that. Uh, and as for Meyer, Meyer looks like he's in the same boat. He's trying to figure it out. Uh, man, I can't judge him three weeks into the season. I couldn't, I didn't expect us to go three, oh, 3-0. Maybe one game, but not 3-0. Uh, but they got torched, uh, and, um, basically all three weeks. I mean, the, the Cardinals, they got lucky with a couple plays here. But as for that team there, they have not been very impressive. I'm not worried about Lawrence. It's the coaching staff that looks a little out of organized. 
Urban Meyer going to ditch you guys for USC? No, not a chance. <laughs> a lot of people think that job like is like I see all these analysts saying how USC is like a better job than like basically every single job in America. And it's a good job, but it's a very high pressure job because of all the all the money in that school and all the pressure they put on those coaches. So I don't know. But uh, as for that job, no, he's not going to go back to college. A little less pressure coaching the Jacksonville Jaguars and the pros than it is a uh, college football dynasty historically that is the USC Trojans. You know, USC Trojans, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Penn State. Uh, Penn State, you know, colleges like that. You better, you better win, and 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 uh, you know, University of Miami. You, know, you you better produce championships, or you're out the door. And yep. you know, yeah, that, that's a lot. Boosters breathing down a, your neck. That's what they do. They breathe down your neck every step of the way. They got money in that absolutely. school. Absolutely. Not 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 to mention coaching in uh in the you know in a big city market wise such as Los Angeles than little old uh, Jacksonville, Florida. But uh, you know, as far as my as far as my Bengals are concerned, you know, they were absolutely they they like your Wisconsin Badgers showed up to Chicago at Soldier Field on week two uh, last Sunday and just uh, I don't know their brain and their skill and everything that they did right against the Vikings week one. I guess stay in Cincinnati. Their bodies were were at Soldier Field, but their brain and their football IQ was not. That's from the coaching all the way on down to Joe Burrow. Who, had, who was horrendous in the game, three straight passes, three straight interceptions. It was oh, it was terrible. Offensive line, like I said last week, went went from uh, lethal, went from deadly to crap, and crap is still not good enough when you have a franchise quarterback that is your most valuable player on the team. Uh, he, he tried to force the ball to T. Higgins in that game way too much when T. Higgins was getting pressed man-to-man coverage. Defense couldn't get off the field, gave up way too many second and third longs that kept the drive alive. Their worst drive out of the entire game was the opening drive when they allowed Andy Dalton to march down the field and score on their first possession of the game. Uh, they should have recovered the Justin Fields fumble. Uh, in the third in the third quarter, which came back to bite them, they des- they decided to wake up and actually remember they were in a football game when it, when it got a little bit too late in the game last or excuse me Sunday against Pittsburgh they were absolutely phenomenal. I'm still trying to process how the Bengals had 35 fewer offensive plays than the Steelers did, and yet they won by 14 points. I understand it's only first three weeks of the season. Bengals have one of the top 10 best defenses in all of football at this point. Knock on wood. Uh, you know they they're able to run the ball. They they could not run the ball against Chicago. They ran the ball well against Pittsburgh. Joe Burrow didn't have to throw the ball 30, 40, 50 times in a game. Ben Roethlisberger did, and the few times that Joe Burrow did have to throw the ball, he made excellent plays. Jamar Chase knows how to catch a football. Who knew? He he looks like he's with Mac Jones being spotty uh, with the Patriots. He looks like he's uh, the leader in the clubhouse through the first few weeks of the season to win Rookie of the Year, and Zach Taylor for once in his life knows how to win a road game and you know where we're two and one to begin the season Kansas City Chiefs are one and two if you would have if you would have told me that back in uh, July I would have called you crazy would have had you drug tested but I, I'm enjoying this for the time being with my Bengals being a Bengals fan you pretty much expect the screw-ups and, and expect the collapse to kind of like ease ease the pain but I'm enjoying it for the time being and I hope that this team shows up and shows out what's going to be a packed 
Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati on Thursday night. My only thing is that we just should have won that freaking uh, Browns, uh, not Browns, Bears game because you gotta especially be happy because with two of how one. you got to be happy with two and one. You're, you got to you be happy with that for sure. Not not a Bengals fan complaining about not being three and is a little rough. You got to be happy with. <laughs> You, you, you sound like your dad because your dad was giving me a hard time because he was like, John, you want to, John, you want to Zach Taylor fired? Got to be fair. You wanted him fired. I'm like, yeah, I did want him fired, but at the moments where I called for his head, he deserved to be gone. You know, the, had again had no business losing the Bear game, and last season, and last season up until the Pittsburgh game, they were an absolute disgrace. Should it should they should have beat the Eagles early in the season? Uh, was absolutely horrendous against uh, against Cleveland in Week Two, where Joe Burrow got destroyed by Miles Garrett. Should have won the game of the the, uh, the day that Odell tore his Achilles in November, uh, a few months later. So it is. It, it's not. I'm not being irrational when I call for his when when I call for his head. Now, does he make me eat crow when he goes out there and beats Pittsburgh on the road for the first time in five six years? Yes, but at the time I call for his head. It's it's reasonable and it's warranted because his body of work through what the first two seat two seasons and three weeks has been the Bengals head coach has been lackluster. What he what has he got like six six seven wins? Uh, you know six seven wins as an NFL coach that's not good enough. I understand you play in the AFC North, but this is a results oriented business. I understand this team is the Super Bowl contenders, but if this team don't go seven and ten eight and nine, season's a failure. This is just a all there is to it. Yeah, I agree. You got, you got it. So you guys, you guys are probably going to torch us on a Thursday. So I'm not really like I'm not looking forward to it, but I mean we'll see. <laughs> you, you score prediction? Uh this game. I think Lawrence could probably score some touchdowns here, but this game screams probably 34-20, something like that. So I would say a two touchdown lead, maybe maybe ten points, maybe 34-24, something like that. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm not looking forward to it like that much, but I mean, I'm sure you got you guys have the offense to kind of take us down the field a couple of times. That's what I'm expecting. Right. If 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 we don't if we don't score thirty plus points in this game, it needs to be an investigation. That, that's all. I, that's all I'm gonna say. And, and like you said, if we don't win by two touchdowns at the minimum, 14, 17 points at the minimum. There, there should there should be an issue, yeah, um, and, and keep keep your phone on. We can expect a lot of who days, and expect keep keep your phone on. Don't I'm gonna lose don't, my don't phone for that game. I'll lose my phone. <laughs> <for that game. laughs> funny, um, but yeah, keep 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 your phone on. Don't don't disappear on me. Last thing before you go, um, and I appreciate you taking the time, Colin Russo here on the I'm Telecatelia's podcast. How do you watch? Uh, how do you watch the football games while you're away in college? Do you get the Sunday ticket, student? You do you go? Me, me, yeah, there's a student uh, a thing bar. for that. Yeah, there's a student thing for student tickets, stuff like that. And one of my roommates has YouTube TV, so that has Red Zone. So we have uh, two TVs. One's my buddy's roommate, I mean, my buddy's TV, and my and we have the one that I had from last year. And we kind of set both of them up. So you have one with Red Zone, one with the Sunday ticket going on, and whatever games going on, you're going back and forth. So that's kind of how we do it. We have a good setup going on. Gotcha. Hell of a job, Colin. Appreciate you for coming on. Yeah, Greatly John, appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you so much for coming up, for having me on. Uh, hopefully this goes well on Thursday. I don't know. <laughs> anytime, man. You're my guy. Colin Russo joining us. We appreciate it. The Amatelica TIS podcast will continue back in the flesh. 
Welcome back to the Yamatelica TIS podcast. Thanks again for the great Kellen Russo for joining us to talk a little bit of NFL and uh, give us a little uh, status update on how life is for him up at uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Switching gears now to Major League Baseball. This is an important date that is in the sports calendar. That is the 10-year anniversary. Hard to believe that it's been 10 years since uh, the uh, famous events that occurred in Game 162 of the two th- of the 2011 Major League Baseball regular season back in not to sound over back in those days that game the uh, regular season ended in a weekday which I think in my opinion they should go back to so they don't get overshadowed uh, by the NFL by having their final day of the regular season on a Sunday but that day of that year the regular season ended on a Wednesday um, and uh, just to give you a little bit of a of a backstory of the events that occurred on that day, you had uh, the first of all the few games that that you need to keep in mind uh, that you need to keep in mind uh, Cardinals Cardinals and Astros Phillies and Braves uh, Yankees Rays Red Sox Orioles final day of the regular season the Rays and the Red Sox were tied for the lone wild card spot this of course was the last year where you had the one wild card spot in the play in. And the uh, and the wild card playoff game was uh, implemented the next season, which ironically enough the Orioles were uh, were a part of because of and it's ironic because of the role that they had uh, in creating that wild card game that they were that they to many of people's surprises that they were a part of literally the next season. Um, but right last day of the regular season, Rays and Red Sox were tied for the lone wild card spot. Rays had closed in on a nine and a half game deficit since the start of the month of September. Um, and they were down seven to, and they were down seven to nothing against uh, against the uh, the um, New York Yankees that day. Uh, we're down set. We're down seven nothing. Uh, we're down seven to nothing heading into, or not heading into, but during that night, uh, and Boston held, uh, and Boston that night uh, had a lead over uh, over the uh, last place Baltimore Orioles, who had lost over ninety games that season. And in the National League, the 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 uh, St. Louis Cardinals, who have won the seventeenth game in a row on a Tuesday night and clinched the playoff berth. How ironic uh, is that? Uh, who had a one point something less than two percent less than three percent chance of making the postseason at the beginning of the month of august and all of a sudden they go on this 17 game winning hot streak and end up clinching a postseason spot which is kind of apropos because they completed an eight and a half game september comeback 10 years ago cemented with the eight nothing win over the astros and of course the and of course the braves blowing a lead to the phillies that night in a 4-3 13 inning loss to the phillies who had already cemented 
uh, their postseason spot, which ended up be which ended up being to the Phillies' own demise because they ended up losing thanks to a Chris Carpenter one uh, nothing shutout against the uh, against the Phillies and Anil Diaz later that postseason. Roy Holiday, God rest his soul, pitched a tremendous game about a uh, about a month later in the postseason. And the Phillies, who helped the Braves, or excuse me, helped the Cardinals get into the postseason, it was to their own detriment as they ended up losing to the Cardinals in the NLDS about a month later. Um, about a month later, uh, in five games, and the Cardinals ended up going on to win the World Series in seven games, knocking off the uh, t- knocking off the AL West uh, back-to-back American League champion. Uh, um, Texas uh, Texas Rangers, uh, which is just a crazy sequence of events. Re- uh, Yankees have a 7-0 lead. Game gets tied thanks to a Reed Johnson. I believe it was a pinch hit home run, which tied the, which ended up tying the game up. Uh, and then, of course, in Baltimore, you have a rain delay in Baltimore. Orioles score two in the bottom of the ninth inning. They tied the game on a, uh, on a I believe it was a Chris Davis with two out in the bottom of the ninth. Chris Davis hits a game time. A double to Brent to drive in, um, to drive in the to uh, drive in the tie to drive in. I think it was Nolan. It was either Nolan Rymel drove in Chris Davis, or it was the other way around. Anyway, the game ends up being the end. The game ends up being tied. Couple, you know, uh, a couple. Reed Johnson ties the game up in Tampa. Next thing, in, next thing you know, with the run, with uh, with there's still two outs in the bottom of the, in the bottom of the ninth, and going up against Papelbon, who the Orioles ended up, uh, who the Orioles ended up beating. Uh, in late September, uh, about a week or so earlier, I'm gonna see if I can, if I can get the uh, get the uh, details for you. But uh, but it, in comes Robert Andino, the winning run, uh, the winning run. Nolan Reimold is on base, and uh, and it's, and it, uh, part of the fact that it's so crazy is that all of, is that these events occurred within within minutes of each other. Um, so the so there and so just to set up the situation, game side at three apiece, one one pitch to Robert Andino, uh, Nolan Rymold is, is the winning run at second base. Ball gets re- lined into left field. Carl Crawford, the Red Sox left fielder, traps it against the grass, and Dino or excuse me, Rymold scores literally closely with to without a play and then Dino gets mobbed in between second and third base to knock out the Red Sox which at that point in time would have forced the if the Yankees would have won that game and would have forced the Red Sox to play a 163 uh, winner take all playoff uh, extra game of the regular season the next day and then little did they know about less than uh, 15 minutes later in steps Rob uh, in steps uh, Evan Longoria who hits a rocket down the left field line to knock the Red Sox out of the playoffs committing uh, or being the final nail in the coffin of their September collapse and the Rays end up making it into the playoffs thanks to Robin Andino, Chris Davis and Nolan Ronald in the heroics of game 162. The game that I was referring to where the Orioles knocked off Papelbon uh, earlier in the month was a September was the September the twentieth with the bases loaded and two outs in the top of the eighth inning. And Andino hits a go-ahead three-run double off of Papelbon, which ended up giving the Orioles the lead, and they would win that game seven to five. That was on September the twentieth, eight days before up in Boston, uh, up in Boston prior to game one sixty-two. So. And Dino not only got Papelbon 
uh, he got Papelbon earlier in the season, as early as eight days prior, up in Fenway, in a game that the Red Sox needed to have. But Andino came back eight days later to bite uh, to bite Papelbon and the Red Sox in the ass again, and it ended up being the craziest sequences in Major League Baseball uh, in Major League Baseball history. Rays the Rays get destroyed uh, in the top of the uh, in the top of the uh, not in the top, but they get destroyed in the game in the earlier sequence of that game putting themselves in a seven nothing deficit Orioles have the have the ninth inning comeback they get a bloop and a blast and a Reed Johnson home run in the game is in the game is tied um, and then of course and and of course if you go back and you hear video that Joe Madden didn't want to uh, you know didn't want to necessarily use up his bullpen because game ended up going into extra innings and just the dramatics of the of the Oriole Red Sox game going into a rain delay because of course it does in the final game of the regular season didn't want to use up his bullpen because he because they were playing essentially for that knowing that the Red Sox were losing to the Orioles they put um, you know they put they were playing for the uh, they knew that they essentially were going to have to play that playing game more the game 163 more times than not they find out that the Orioles end up beating the Red Sox <coughs> excuse me by the final score of four to three and then you hear Joe Madden you know in the little uh, piece that he did for MLB Network about like nine eight years ago at the time says Evan Longoria just end this game so I don't have to use up my bullpen and lo and behold Evan Longoria hits the line shot down the left field line and the and the Tampa Bay Rays ended up uh, ended up going into the postseason Red Sox did not uh, the Braves did not and the Cardinals did because due to a beatdown that that out of all the games that didn't have any juice it was the Cardinal uh, Astro game that, that ended up being the uh, the anticlimactic game anticlimactic game Rays are sit, or excuse me, the Cardinals are sitting in their clubhouse, awaiting the results of Atlanta and the Phillies. Atlanta blows the lead. Phillies come back, and and they ended up knocking off uh, the uh, the Phillies, or excuse me, the Phillies ended up knocking off the Braves in extra innings. Um, I don't remember. I remember the events of that game because it was such a huge because it was such a huge deal, and they ended up and the Rays ended up losing the ALDS against Texas. Uh, in a in four games in that series, but I do I remember the I remember how historical this historical significance of it and what a big deal it was uh, after the fact you know in the days after game one sixty two but I do not re- I do not remember being on pins and needles and and watching uh, you know and watching the game and going back and flipping back and forth and watching the games and and the hysteria of the, of that action happening live but I do remember it being all over the sports news and just being a uh, hot topic of conversation um you know in the moments and in the days afterwards I do not remember specifically what I was doing and I do not remember watching even the Red Sox Orioles game of uh, game 162 September 28th 2011 I remember my grandmother calling me about it and informing me of what the heck happening it happened and seeing it on sports center and seeing it all across television and the conversation that ensued in the aftermath but I do not remember uh, physically watching game 162 because at that age I was what nine years old 
Orioles were bad. As soon as September came around, it was baseball. I see it in April. I'm all in. Uh, I'm all in on the NFL and my uh, Cincinnati Bengals, which probably explained it. Of course, it happened on a Wednesday night school night, and I wasn't, you know, staying up till midnight, which is around the time that 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 uh, Red Sox Orioles game ended. Standing up the midnight to watch the hapless Orioles, you know, play uh, play the 91 Boston Red Sox, and of course the aftermath that followed. The Orioles ended. Up, the Orioles ended up getting uh, ended up being on the uh, on the longer ends of the stick because not only did they experience that spoiler roll of knocking the Red Sox out and helping the Rays. But because of the Orioles knocking out the 90-plus win Red Sox that season, Major League Baseball, although the hysteria and the craziness of Game 162, they looked at it and was like, hey, even though the Braves and the Red Sox collapsed, they still were a good enough team that deserved to play some semblance of postseason October baseball. And then, of course, entering the American League wildcard game, which ironically enough, uh, in the on the National League side, the first the first two participants in that wild card game, ironically enough, were the defending World Series champion Cardinals and the Braves, who uh, who would who would have needed and would have liked to have that wild card game due to their September collapse of the season prior. Those two teams, uh, those two teams went at it uh, in the wild card in that wild card game back in 2012 that the Braves ended up losing the uh, and the and the Cardinals ended up winning and. And beating the Nationals uh, with that comeback in Game Five against them in that 2012 NLDS, and of course the Orioles, who a season who a season prior had lost 90 games, were as far away from postseason baseball as you would think of, ended up shocking the world, winning over 90 games that 2012 season, and ended up participating in that first ever American League Wild Card game on the road against the back-to-back uh, American League champion Texas Rangers, which they ended up beating, uh, which they ended up beating thanks to a phenomenal start by Joe Saunders, the former uh, Texas Ranger pitcher, and they ended up losing to the division rival New York Yankees in a gutty, gritty, heart-wrenching five-game series later on that October. But on that day, September the 28th, 2011, 10 years ago, uh, Tuesday, was that infamous and famous and remarkable and memorable game 162 of that 2011 season and i did not realize that, and buck shabalt revealed it when he went to when he was on and chatted with my guy christopher mad dog russo on his high heat tv show i did not realize that buck showalter a la uh, herb brooks aka uh um what's his face uh, Kurt Russell in the movie Miracle of that 1980 U.S. Olympic uh, hockey team defeating the Russians. I did not know that after that game that Buck Showalter went up the tunnel in the dugout, you know, in between the dugout and the clubhouse where there were no cameras, no media, no anybody, and essentially and essentially cried tear and essentially cried tears of joy and jubilation after the events of. Uh, after the events of Robert Andino in that ninth inning comeback off of Papelbon, and who knew that it would be the catalyst and the beginning of something, uh, of something great that took place in Baltimore from essentially that game 62 of 2011 up until that wild card game uh, against the Toronto Blue Jays in 2016, with of course 
Edwin Encarnacion hitting the game-winning walk-off home run off of Ubaldo Jimenez while uh, Zach Britton stayed uh, in the bullpen for reasons I, I, even if I live to be 150 years old, will not understand. But on that day, uh, Tuesday, uh, September 28, 2021, 10 years to the day of the remarkable events of Game 162 of the 2011 Major League Baseball regular season. And that is your show, and that is another episode of the Amatelakitiyas podcast in the books. It is your boy, Josh Shields. Thank you for listening. If you're new to the program, please subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatelit underscore podcast. And the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it is. It is your boy, Josh Shields. I will talk to you Friday to preview week three of the Nat, or excuse me, week four of the NFL season. I will talk to you guys then. Stay safe, and I will talk to you then. See you.